Blog Talk Radio. This is Celtics Talk Radio, your weekly C's audio magazine. Listen as we discuss the latest news for the Boston Celtics. You can call us at 347-857-3545. Now, here's your host, Daniel, Igor, and Kevin. Hey, what's up, Celtics fans? And welcome to another edition of Celtics Talk Radio here on blogtalkradio.com. This is episode 307, where we will be discussing where the Celtics stand at the All-Star break. So, of course, our NBA trade deadline, Igor, has come and gone, and we are now Mm -hmm. at the All-Star break. Tonight, of course, is NBA All-Star Saturday night, where we will be seeing the fan dunk competition, the three-point shootout, and all the other events that seems to take the big All-Star weekend it seems like basically that's the night that everybody prefers compared to the actual all-star game or the, you know, celebrity game itself and the up, up and coming uh, stars on um, show, uh, sh- should I say game basically on Friday night. I know growing up, that's the night I always wanted to see basically Saturday night in this situation. So of course, uh, during our show today in this situation that uh, those events will start taking place, but we will be off the air before the night uh, the events end in this situation. But again, we will be getting to discuss what happened last week in this case, which is the NBA trade deadline. The trade deadline has come and gone, Igor, and again, the Celtics finally, I said it, ladies and gentlemen, finally actually made some sort of moves to improve the roster and potentially the outlook, the future outlook of this team going forward as the Celtics ended up making a trade with the San Antonio Spurs that ended up sending the, the sending to the Spurs Josh Richardson along Romeo Langford and a conditional 2022 first-round pick, which is a top-four protected pick. That's why it says conditional in this case. And in exchange, they got Derek um, White in this case. Of course, Derek White is under contract through the 2024-2025 season, so he will be a free agent going into the 2025-2026 season. In this case, Derek White makes just over or just under, I should say, $15.2 million. It might be a bit more easier to say it like that. The Celtics also ended up making a deal that ended up sending away uh, um, Dennis Schroeder alongside Bruno Fernando and Eames Freedom in this case and got back old time friend and former Celtics big man Daniel Tice that move was, with, um, was done with the Houston Rockets now that was the last trade the Celtics made in this situation so that was the third trade in this case as the Celtics made three trades overall so the move with the um, for Derek White was obviously the second one. The first move, however, that was made in this case that everybody was kind of wondering, what the hell is this team doing in this case? But it kind of basically all seemed to come together, Igor, was a move made with the Orlando Magic where the Celtics ended up sending a condition, conditional um, second-round pick, future second-round pick, to the Magic in this case, or got, got from the Magic in this case, and in exchange... Uh, sent away P.J. Dozier, center boy boy, a future second-round pick and cash considerations in this case. Now, this move, of course, 
got the Celtics under the luxury tax, and you and me have explained many times why that is so important, and also cleared up two roster spots for this team at this point, which, of course, when you compare that with also the move that sent away Dennis Schroeder, Bruno Fernando, and Ian Freedom in this situation for Daniel Tice, as well as the move of us getting only just uh, Derek White while sending away two players, the Celtics ended up basically overhauling the roster and opened up several roster spots in this situation, which made where now the rest of the season they could sign practically any player they want so long as they have the the money to do so in, in terms of free agency money, or a player on the waiver wire, they can do so using the traded player exceptions they now have and sign them that way in order to beef up this roster and try to make this team a real title contender if they feel that they have one and really try to go for the NBA title this season. So, of course, we will be discussing that, ladies and gentlemen. The Celtics also had a major victory in this case. They were on a nine-game winning streak that started with a 107-97 win over the Pelicans back on January 29th. And their final win on that uh, nine-game win streak was a 135-87 blowout win over Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia, which made everybody think this team was going the right direction, Igor. But it was snapped by a one-point loss to arguably the worst team in the league, the Detroit Pistons, 112-111. to So you, me, Igor, got a question now. Which is the real Boston Celtic team? The one who has lost often to the bad teams or the one who showed they can beat the good teams? So we will be discussing that. Of course, the Celtics also lost Marcus Smart and Robert Williams during that stretch to injuries. So we want to give the latest information to you, ladies and gentlemen, on that. Jalen Brown is also pissed off because he did not get to play in the All-Star game or won't play in the All-Star game, even though several players have decided they're not going to compete who did get selected. So he could have easily been put in by the commissioner as an injury replacement, and the commissioner basically gave him a nice backslap and said, screw you, you're not, I'm not interested in you getting to one of those spots at this point. So we will also discuss the big trade of the NBA trade deadline, which is the one between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets, as well as the Los Angeles Lakers lost Anthony Davis for the next four weeks in this case, and they could be miss, looking at missing the playoffs in this situation. So are they in trouble? And Celtic fans, would you be satisfied with a first-round exit for the Celtics this year if it means that the Los Angeles Lakers, in exchange, miss the playoffs completely? So, Igor, a lot of stuff that we'll be just basically discussing, so I'll now pass it to you, my friend, before we go to block one. Yeah, uh, you said uh, practically uh, all that we're going to discuss. I just uh, want to add that uh, the Celtics are number six. Uh, we are four and a half games behind uh, position number one after um, 60 games uh, played in the today NBA standings. The Celtics are behind Milwaukee Bucks reigning champs. Uh, two games uh, away from them, two losses more. Um, and uh, in the last 22 games of the regular season or whatever, uh, or, or I mean, in the last uh, uh, part of the season, the Celtics will battle for even higher place, or maybe they will slide if uh, they have another losing streak. Uh, they will slide into playing tournament. Currently, they are out of the playing tournament. Uh, 
Boston uh, medias and Boston fans are saying that the Celtics can win the East and maybe win it all. Uh, I mean, it, it made me laugh, to tell you the truth, but uh, we will talk with Bobby Krivitsky. Is this real or not? Uh, block one right now, Bobby Krivitsky from Sports Illustrated uh, later. But first thing first, as discussed, as you probably already know by now, the Celtics made two day, uh, deals today at the deadline. A lot of bodies going in and out, coming in. Derek White, the combo guard from San Antonio. Daniel Tice, old friend, the big guy. He comes in along with a future second-round pick. Outgoing, Richardson, Schroeder, Langford, Freedom, P.J. Dozier, Bol Bol, a, few, a future first-round pick and a future second-round pick. It's really kind of part of a pick swap. So a lot of action, but what comes in is Derek White, Daniel Tice. Are the Celtics better off now than they were yesterday? I say no. What do you say? Oh, you say no. Uh, tell me why you say no, because I think I'll, I'll, my answer is yes, but slightly. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued by your no. Where, where does that come because from? It, I mean, as was explained to me, Derek White doesn't really fill a need. I thought they needed shooting. So you've lost shooting. I mean, Josh Richardson well, was shooting around 40% from behind the line yeah. this year, and Derek White's shooting 31%. Yeah. All right, so then, okay, if I'm losing it in the shooting, am I getting a pure playmaker? And it doesn't sound like I am. He I know White's play. assist numbers are up the last couple of years. He can but, play point guard. Yeah. Okay, but, what I, but the scouting report is he's not a pure point, and he doesn't shoot well enough to be a pure shooting guard. He's good defensively, so he's kind of an off-brand Marcus Smart. We just got another Marcus Smart no. for Josh Richardson, who was actually helping you spotting up and hitting open shots. No, wait, wait. I don't think they got better. Let, let's, not, let's not talk about Josh Richardson uh, as a shooter. Now, Josh Richardson, maybe, maybe Josh Richardson and Derek White are the same in this way. That you really, they're neither one of them is a reliable shooter. Josh Richardson, I don't care what the numbers say. We know throughout his career, he has never been a guy who's open from three and you know he's going to make it. Uh, if he's making 39% from three point range, it's a fluke. Uh, it, this, this tells you everything you need to know about Josh Richardson. One game, he made six of eight three pointers. The next game, he went 0 for six. That's really what he is. But I think you got a slightly better for a couple of reasons. You got Dennis Schroeder off the team who didn't really want to be a reserve. That's one. Two, you got a starter in white for reserve. You're going to start in Richardson. But you got a he's a starting caliber got player got uh, versus a reserve in Richardson. And three, you got better defensively, slightly. And once again, I'm not going crazy here. You got a, a defensive-minded center in Daniel Tice who can play the system versus a guy uh, in his freedom who well, plays no defense whatsoever. So you, you, it's not like you got 35% better. I say you got 5% better. What also kind of scares me is that. If Popovich doesn't want him, why do why do you want him? Well, they're a bad team. This and it's year. sort of well, but I don't know. Is Popovich and the leadership out there, who are generally pretty good, even though they're down and rebuilding, yeah. they still are generally good decision makers. That was the guy they deemed expendable. Also, Udoka coached him in San Antonio, coached him with this uh, international team right. with Brown, Tatum, and Smart. And is it one of these things where, I don't know, Bill Belichick goes to the Pro Bowl, coaches a Dallas Thomas, likes him, and sort of falls in love with the guy because of his personal experience? I, I don't know. I mean, but, if they had a better shooter, I'd feel better about it. But I would say at least Udoka coached him his first two years in the league. He was on his team, like, whereas a Dallas Thomas was like, you know, Baltimore. Oh, I'm so intrigued by the big guy who can run. Um, but I, I, think, I think they did get a little bit better. And uh, the Spurs, the fact the Spurs didn't want them, that doesn't really tell you anything. The Spurs are in rebuilding mode, and I think they're looking forward to the first-round pick. Here's each Celtics trade individually. The day started with the Celtics acquiring Derek White from the Spurs in exchange for Josh Richardson. 
Romeo Langford, and a first-round pick this coming summer. That pick is top eight protected. Then at the buzzer, the Celtics traded Dennis Schroeder to the Rockets in exchange for Daniel Tice. Tice will begin his second stint with the team. Schroeder, he didn't even last a full season in Boston. All right, let's roll. Presented by Town Fair Tire. Let's bring in our guy, Chris Mannix, one of the best uh, insiders in the country. And so Mannix was just talking about this with Felger uh, last block. Did the Celtics get better or worse with this deal? Yeah, I think they got better. Um, not contender better, but I do think they improved their team. Derek White's a very good player. I mean, his shooting numbers have been down this season around 31%, but he has been the last two seasons right around 35 36%. I think that's more reflective of the kind of player uh, that he is. He's an excellent defensive player, can defend multiple positions. And where they gain something, guys, is in playmaking. Derek White's averaging close to six assists per game. And I've been on the pregame show and on the postgame show talking constantly about this team's need for playmaking, either to replace a Marcus Smart or to supplement a Marcus Smart. I think uh, Derek White, either in the starting lineup or off the bench, is going to be able to do that. Does it concern you, Chris, that Popovich was willing to give them to you? No, because the Spurs right now are in full draft mode. I think this deal with Boston gives them, I believe, three picks inside what's likely the top 20 in this next draft, and that's kind of their focus right now. Derek White is sort of a quasi-point guard, two guard, but they're pretty well set at that backcourt position with DeJounte Murray, who, uh, as we know, is an all-star this year and having a terrific season uh, with this team. So I think they felt he might have been a little bit superfluous. They get off his contract one less year when it comes to Josh Richardson, uh, and they get that first-round draft to try to rebuild their team. Uh, Chris, what do you think the Celtics' end game is here? I, I agree with you. They got slightly they, – they, they improved slightly with this shakeup. Where, where do they think they can go uh, with this roster at its best? Well, I think they're trying to maximize it. That's for sure, Michael. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, the sense I got from talking to teams was that the Celtics had transitioned from sellers to buyers. And I'm sure that had something to do with the fact they've been playing good basketball of late and started to climb a little bit in the standings only a few games back of those middle-of-the-pack uh, playoff spots. So, I don't know what they believe they can be, but they think this recent play is worth going out there and adding a guy like Derek White, who they think can make them better as a group, adding a guy like Daniel Tice, who, if nothing else, is kind of Rob Williams-type insurance. Rob's having a good season, but he's in and out of the lineup, as we've seen this year and in the past. So Tice, at least, is familiar with this group of players, familiar with the guys in the front office. So it's a measure of insurance in case – a guy like Rob Williams goes down. Okay, so I was just going to ask you about Tice. I was going to ask you for a minute on Daniel Tice. Let's make it 30 seconds because it's Daniel Tice. I thought it was a buzzkill. You know, the Derek White trade comes in, so it's like, all right, now they got this glutted point guard. Someone's leaving. They'll replace the shooting with the next trade. And then it's Daniel Tice. And is he under contract for just under $10 million for like three more years? Nine. Yeah, nine I mean, million. So I don't get the Daniel Tice return. I don't. I mean, $9 million nowadays, not to minimize it, but it's not a big number anymore. That's less than the mid-level exception that players are getting in today's NBA. And Tice 
Tice was not a great fit in Houston because they drafted a guy named Alperin Sangoon in the, with the 17th overall pick. The pick, by the way, the Celtics shipped out in that Kemba Walker deal, who has turned out to be a pretty good player in the front court. So Tice was not necessary with this Houston team. He can still play a little bit. And again, you need kind of a versatile body that can play a couple of positions in that front court. I Look, they were offering Dennis Schroeder around across the league. I mean, at least half the teams in the league got a phone call from somebody within the Celtics offering uh, Dennis Schroeder. There was just virtually no market for him, guys. None whatsoever. Not in a straight-up swap. And, you know, and, and that's the disappointing thing. That's the only nitpick I have. Like, uh, all you get from uh, from Dennis Schroeder is, is Daniel Tice. Well, I, I mean, when had, they signed Schroeder, it was the best contract yeah, in the NBA. It, it was. So, like, it really it was. was. A no-brainer, great I'm t- signing. And I'm not going to say it wasn't on the way out. It was. You couldn't, pedal, guy, him for, you couldn't pedal him for a piece of pocket. But you list. know what? This is, not a, this is not necessarily a Celtics problem, as Mannix can attest. So we'll get to this blockbuster in a second. This is a Schroeder problem. Schroeder turned down a huge contract with the Lakers. He goes to the Celtics. You think he's going to reestablish his market value? He doesn't. So uh, everybody thought he would work out see, great. He didn't. Uh, it's, a, it's a big surprise. See, see, guys, like, like, I mean, look, he was fine during stretches. He's, he's, not, he's a flawed player. There's no question about it. But I do think he was a high-value signing at that time, given the caliber player he was and the contract he got. The reason there was no value for him is that every team that acquires him runs into the same problem the Celtics have, that they can't re-sign him in the offseason because they don't have those bird rights that allow them to exceed the salary cap to keep him. So anyone going to get him would have had to believe he could be a difference maker for them in the postseason and not, I was going to say not enough teams, no team actually believed that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to our virtual studio. You are with uh, Igor Mitic and Daniel Camacho tonight. Later in the second hour, maybe Andrew Vernon will join us. You have a lot of audios and you have a uh, premier guest of the, tonight, Mr. Bobby Krivitsky, returned to the Celtic Stock Radio. You can follow Bobby Krivitsky at uh, the Twitter, at Bobby Krivitsky. Uh, Bobby Krivitsky is covering Celtics for sports illustrated now or at se now he is the voice of sports map radio sports map radio and sports uh, anchor nba reporter for uh, basketball insiders so uh, sp- uh, sp- se.com at nba at celtic bobby krivitsky the real writer and congratulations on promotion bobby um, again, uh, the people can find you at uh, Boston Celtics uh, Sports Illustrated page at the Facebook that we shared at our pages. So really knowledgeable guy and our friend here. And uh, I'm really happy for his promotion. Bobby, how are you tonight? Welcome to the show. Appreciate the kind words, Igor. Always glad to be on here and chopping it up, talking basketball with you. How's everyone doing tonight? Uh, great, great. We are uh, preparing some changes at the show. I mean, but uh, we will likely uh, talk about it when the time comes. I mean, uh, about video chats, uh, you know, making some uh, good changes for our fans. And uh, again, uh, we will be more efficient to tell that truth. And we will maybe get sponsorship. And our producer, William Perkins, did some great uh, videos, intros for our video chats. And uh, again, uh, the people can call us uh, always uh, at 347-857-3545. Uh, 
Um, and uh, also write us at our pages, Celtic Stock Radio, STR Capital Letters, at uh, Instagram, uh, I mean at Instagram, also Twitter, STR Capital Letters, Celtic Stock Radio, or uh, Facebook pages, Bibli Green Celtic Sense Forum, or submit your questions at the Celtic Stock Radio under the pinned link. Uh, Bobby, besides what I said, what is going on with your writing, uh, sports Illustrated gig uh, radios that I mentioned. Uh, what more uh, for you, my friend? Uh, I, I think you covered it there. You know, my day is pretty full between covering the Celtics for Sports Illustrated and then my job as a national radio co-host for Sports Map Radio Network and doing some work for Basketball Insiders as well. So between the three of those, that takes up my time. But certainly been doing. You know, uh, I would say my primary work revolves around covering the Celtics for SI. Great, great stuff. Uh, first, and um, to relax uh, subject, uh, for example, uh, 2022nd All-Star. Uh, the first night is behind us. The second night is currently uh, preparing. You know, the most fun night for the fans, like Danny said, maybe, you know, uh, skills challenge, challenge competition, uh, dunk, uh, shooting threes and competition. Uh, but uh, let's say what we, uh, w- what is the most important. Uh, Sunday, um, the Roasters uh, will face uh, the matchup between Team LeBron and Team Durant. Is in the se- 71st NBA All-Star Game will take place on Sunday, February 20th at uh, Rocket uh, Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, airing live at 8 p.m. Eastern and TNT. Um, the teams consisting of uh, Team Durant starters. Durant is injured, will not play. But Joel Embiid is starting for Team Durant. Jean Morant is starting for uh, Team Durant. Uh, he is the guest, uh, to say that way, from the West, in this Team Durant. But... Uh, captains uh, have uh, right to draft from the players. Uh, so, Jamorant, uh, then Jason Tatum, Andrew Wiggins, and Trey Young. Interesting combination. Trey Young, Wiggins, Tatum, Morant, and Embiid. I think that we never seen um, that combination, and we will never see that combination of the starters. Uh, That's a safe uh, bet, Igor. At, at, at the this same will be a team. one-time deal for Andrew Wiggins yeah, in the starting lineup yeah. of an all-star game. Now, now and never. Uh, and one note: Jason Tatum <laughs> replaces uh, Jason Tatum replaces uh, injured Kevin Durant as a starter. Well deserved. Congratulations, of course, to our Jason Tatum. Reserves are Team Durant reserves are Lamelo Ball from Charlotte, uh, Devin Booker, three times All Star from Phoenix, Rudy Gobert from Utah, three times All Star, Zach Lavine. Bulls, rising star, two-time all-star. Chris Milton, champion from the Milwaukee, three-time all-star. Dejounte Murray, rising star, first appearance from San Antonio Spurs, well-deserved, I must say. Uh, he is one of my favorite players at the West. Um, beautifully to watch him. Carl Anthony Towns, three-time all-star from Minnesota. And Draymond Green, champion, uh, of course. Uh, four-time all-star, two-time all-NBA and, of course, uh, multiple times uh, champion with um, Golden State Warriors. Team LeBron. Uh, LeBron is the captain, and 
uh, he has reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Stephen Curry from uh, Golden State, DeMar DeRozan from the Bulls. DeMar DeRozan is having amazing season. Uh, five times All-Star. LeBron James himself, um, uh, King himself, and Nikola Jokic reigning, reigning, uh, uh, reigning MVP. Uh, you know, uh, of the regular season, of course. Um, I mean, Yanis um, Tsukompo is MVP uh, of the playoffs, uh, finals MVP. Uh, four times All-Star Nikola Jokic, and he's having, uh, again, monstrous season, and he's leading candidate again for MVP, despite uh, the people do not believe that he's true MVP. He's, he's again, having MVP season. Um, James Harden just... Uh, you know, cannot play because he's injured. He's nursing injury after the recent trade from the Nets to Philly. We will talk about that too. Um, and uh, instead of Jer- uh, James Harden, uh, guess who replaced uh, J- James Harden? Jared Allen from Cleveland. We will talk, I will ask you <laughs> later about that too because uh, Jalen Brown was not happy about the selection. Celtics fans were not happy about the selection. Um, I had a lot of laughs reading the comments about that at my page, and I must ask you the question about that. Uh, Jared Kentrell, uh, Jared Allen, um, uh, I, I must say that uh, I'm happy for Jared Allen. You know, I do not envy. Uh, I, I think that he deserved it. Uh, and I'm happy for Darius Garland because Cleveland has played uh, great defense and great basketball, uh, I mean, for, for, for their standards in majority of... Um, uh, the, the season in the to say in the first 60 games they played great. Um, I mean Cleveland Cavaliers they are number four, 35, uh, 23. They are the most pleasant surprise. Alongside you can say Miami Heat, uh, but Miami Heat is not surprised. But Cleveland Cavaliers they are the surprise. And you know without Colin Sexton they are having two all stars, Jared Allen and Darius Garland, one of my favorite guards at the East. Again, it is beautiful to watch this guy leading the Cleveland just like he's 10 years veteran. And he is first-time first All-Star and the rookie. Um, anyway, to, to cut the short um, story, uh, to, to, to cut the short story, the, the long story, um, uh, Jimmy Butler from Miami, Luka Doncic, uh, again, superstar from um, Dallas, Darius Garland, James Harden will not play, Donovan Mitchell, Chris uh, Paul and Fred Van Vliet, Monty Williams from the Suns, coach of the team LeBron. Question number one is, uh, do you like uh, the All-Star selection? Um, I mean, um, you will remember, um, I mean, Bobby, uh, th- that um, majority of the Celtics fans, uh, for example, uh, they are saying that... Um, and not only Celtics fans, but let's say NBA fans, they, they, are, they are saying that uh, All-Star is popularity, con- uh, popularity you know, contest um, that uh, fans uh, are voting for um, popular players, beautiful players, whatever they want to say. But listen, uh, say whatever you want. And also about main NBA game, Team LeBron against Team Durant, you know. Um, now, NBA did, and Adam Silver did all they can, they could, uh, to make that game 
you know more competitive and interesting for and you know for 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 the viewers even rewarded players and whatever uh, so you cannot say that NBA is putting uh, the clown show on uh, uh, all stars that's that's just understatement okay so that NBA is trying all to force the major stars to play that game and to force them to play that game seriously, okay? And to make the, that game um, competitive. So is this not important competition? Think again, because one of the things that uh, everything revolves is NBA All-Star Game. The main event during the NBA season, Bobby, this is NBA All-Star Game. Okay, you have playing tournaments, which is very exciting, and I'm uh, happy about this tournament. This should stay, okay? But NBA All-Star Game is still in the season main uh, event, okay? And the other thing is the contracts, NBA contracts, revolves, um, I mean, around all-star appearances. Players are getting bonuses, uh, then sponsorship contracts around uh, NBA All-Star Game. And also, you know, the ratings, the sponsorship deals, the money, that's all is having influence on the revenue and later on the salary cap and later that is influencing again the players' contracts and etc. etc. So it is all having effect of the quality of the basketball that you're watching in the regular season. So if you're saying that this is just clown show, not important, popularity contest, you know, whatever you want to say, you are not correct. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. You made a lot of good points there, Igor. So I'll try to cover as many of them as I can right now in a concise manner. First off, I think Team LeBron takes it once again. I think that he typically has the better draft, and that seems to be the case to me once again. But the players that I'm most excited to see are on Team Durant. It's Ja Morant, Trey Young, LaMelo Ball. Those three are at the top of my list. I think their style mm-hmm. of play mm-hmm. is conducive to putting on an entertaining show at the All-Star Game. So I can't Agree wait to see that. that. You touched on Morant. the change mm-hmm. in format there. And I am all mm-hmm. for the Elam ending being implemented. I think it has raised mm-hmm. the quality of play. And again, that entertainment component, which from a viewing standpoint is what it's all about. So the end of these games has been much more compelling than it was in the prior seasons before the change was made. And it felt like we were really reaching a point where there was a growing contingency of people saying, is the all-star game and, outdated concepts that we don't need anymore. Whereas now, even if you think that's true, you have to admit that the Elam ending has made it a more competitive finish to the games, which is the part that matters most. So I really like that change. I think it was necessary and came at the right time. And then as far as the Jalen Brown, Jared Allen dynamic, I think there were a lot of reasons to go with Jared Allen because, look, he's averaging 16 and 11 while playing tremendous defense. The game is in Cleveland. They're in fourth 
ahead of the Celtics in the standings. Mm-hmm. So I think that was well-deserved on Jared Allen's part, mm-hmm. as well as Jalen Brown is playing this season. Not to mention mm-hmm. that Jalen Brown missed a lot of time for various reasons. Games and on top of it, what I think games. it speaks, and you went down the line there, Igor, with some of these replacement <laughs> players, including Jared Allen and LaMelo Ball, is that I would like to see yep. the rosters expanded, even if it's just by one roster spot, that's where I'm at, because then all of a sudden you can include guys like the aforementioned Ball and Allen without having to rely on them replacing someone. So I think the game has grown to the point where you can expand the rosters now. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, Jared Allen deserved it. Um, the Celtics fans have always problem Bobby. Uh, they are homers, and I understand them. And we rooted for, uh, I mean, uh, not only just, I mean, Time Lord can be all-star in the future, okay? The Celtics can have the three for all-stars sure. in the future. But what is the key? The team must play great. The team cannot suck. And the Celtics could have two all-stars. That is the key. So which Celtics are real? The Celtics from the first season when they are 18 and 21? Or the Celtics from January uh, that we made nine games winning streak and we are the first in almost or the second in all defensive and offensive categories and the people are saying the Celtics can't win banner number 18. Which Celtics are real? The Celtics are just playing this season just like Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde from the film. One day it's beautiful, uh, you know, doctor uh, recognized and at the night it's, it's, it's total monster in, in the negative way. I mean, yes, it seems like the Celtics figure it out, but they lost from uh, uh, the, 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 their uh, streak was snapped, like Dennis said, from Detroit Pistons. Detroit Pistons 13 and 45. Yes, we missed Martin Time Lord, but uh, Detroit Pistons, that's Detroit Pistons, their tanking team again. So, I mean, um, uh, before you pronounce the Celtics uh, as, as a team that deserves uh, two, two or even three All-Stars, the Celtics must play good, great, not only stretches of the season, not only 10 games, but majority of the season, just like top teams at the NBA, okay? Um, and loud and clear, because the, vote, the voting for the All-Star was in the first part of the season. The Celtics didn't deserve to have the two All-Stars and All-Star starters uh, in the first part of the season, okay? When we were 18 and 21. Great for Jason Tatum. Congratulations. About, um, about uh, Jalen Brown, you mentioned that he missed time. 14 games out of 18. I think that was the main thing one, why he was snapped out of um, uh, the All-Star game. Um, and the Celtics were bad in the first part of the season. So why are you surprised? Look at the standings. In the words of Doc Rivers, the standings are showing you who you are. The standings are your mirror, the Celtics fans. So all you need to know about your team, you're going to see when you go to NBA.com standings. That's all you need to know. Everything else is your personal feeling. So that's about NBA snap. Now, 
Jason Tatum talked uh, a little in recent interview, uh, Bobby, uh, he uh, lost 32 uh, million last year uh, because he was not selected in all NBA. Uh, so, uh, alongside uh, J.J. Reddick, ex-streaking uh, shooter in the NBA, um, open up about uh, missing all NBA and missing 32.6 million, million bonus to his rookie scale extension. Uh, he spoke about um, uh, the costly snap, and the only time I uh, let it affect me, I remember last time, I was in the playoffs. The playoffs might have been over. Uh, I had 30 millions in the line. I specifically remember one person saying I'm not a fan of his shoot selection. And I couldn't put him on my all-NBA ballot. And I was baffled. Uh, the fact that somebody can have that thought and basically cost me 30 million, forget about me, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, the narrative is, uh, Jason didn't make all NBA. He loses uh, 30 million. Uh, I still got 175 million, etc., etc. Uh, everything is great. I mean, I don't expect uh, Jason Tatum to jump out of joy because uh, he was snapped. Uh, he he was not selected to say that way um, in the all NBA the last year. Uh, but again, uh, the, the the Celtics fans. Should I, should I notice uh, to you, Bobby, uh, follow the, the tune in Jason Tatum um, uh, article, I mean uh, video with uh, JJ Reddick. Uh, and I think that uh, some Boston sports medias, which I dislike, and I strongly criticize and fighting against, uh, they, they are having um, uh, some campaigns against uh, national media, uh, the Boston Celtics media, they are questioning, um, uh, quote, influence of uh, the media in uh, players' contract and that kind of stuff, all because of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. <sighs> Again, I will return to previous words with the danger to be boring to my listeners. Uh, look at the standings from last year. Uh, look at the Celtics record last year and look at the Celtics outcome last year. And that is all that is going to tell you about the Celtics uh, last year. Um, basketball is, is collective sport and despite the numbers, I don't think that Jason Tatum had an all-NBA season the last season. And about media influence in uh, selection of the players for all-NBA and all I mean, let me ask you, Bobby, and all the Celtics fans out there, and all the sports medias that are criticizing the selection, who should select the players for all-stars and all-NBA, if not NBA fans, if not NBA media? You dislike one model, you dislike another, another model, you dislike combined model, who should select the players? Jason Tatum himself? Jalen Brown, Marshall, come on. I mean, you should say one media member was not objective or, or two media members, but you cannot say 30 media members, they are crazy, right? I mean, that's nonsense. What do you think?
Uh, well, I actually think that there are problems and that the system needs to change. I thought Tatum deserved to make it, quite frankly. He even pointed okay. out within that podcast, the old man and the three, it's J.J. Redick and Tommy Alter. Tatum uh-huh. pointed out that he got more votes than Kyrie Irving, but because they're right. divided right. by position, and sometimes right. the NBA, they get it wrong, they'll classify right. guys incorrectly right. or they'll give someone more flexibility than someone mm-hmm. else. So I mm-hmm. think, and something that they hit on, is it should be the best 15 players. Let's throw positions out, especially in today's NBA. So I think it should just mm-hmm. give you the best 15 players. I don't care if that means there's 15 mm-hmm. centers, 15 wings, whatever. Just give me the top 15 from that season. I think Tatum qualified as that last year. If the voting mm-hmm. had been structured differently, mm-hmm. he still would have got it. There's a lot of voters mm-hmm. who, are, who don't want to be mm-hmm. responsible for someone else's money and millionaires right. or not, right. however sympathetic you might be, right. 30 million is a lot to have on the line. Lots of money. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I, I think that there are, there are a lot of voters who are uncomfortable and would rather that not be the case, that they're deciding whether or not mm-hmm. someone hits these bonuses and incentives. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, I think that there are a lot of voters who they either almost exclusively consume their team that they cover as a beat reporter. They don't watch enough of the product league wide. Right. And secondly, as Tatum pointed out there with that one specific person from a podcast, there are people who Mm -hmm. just have poor reasoning for why they will or won't vote for a particular individual Mm -hmm. or come up with Mm -hmm. their top 15. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to see a little more balance. The solution that I came up with in the aftermath, Mm -hmm. I'm sure Mm -hmm. people can, rip this apart and that's fine mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. spending a little no, no, bit of time tell us. thinking please about an adaptation mm-hmm. it would be 25 percent for fans media president or gm okay. you know, the head of a front office whichever the title happens to be for a particular individual in charge mm-hmm. of, of an nba front office so you've got mm-hmm. players or excuse me players coaches president of basketball operations or GM and Mm -hmm. the media. So those four Mm -hmm. get 25% each of the vote. And Mm -hmm. if you gave 100% Mm -hmm. to any of those groups, they would get it wrong to some extent. We'd be shaking our head at some of the decisions and rationale, just like we do when it's exclusively the media, but giving them each a 25% stake to a significant degree is going to balance each other out in that regard. So the players are going to have some picks that the fans, for example, don't agree with. The media will do the same. The coaches and the front offices, the same applies. But to a large degree, they'll balance each other out. So that's the system I would come up with rather than giving one group all of the power. Uh, Great stuff. Uh, That was my intention, to hear your opinion. I think uh, you're having a great solution. Again, I think that uh, Jason Tatum uh, will be selected this year. Uh, I think that he is an uh, all. Uh, I mean, uh, he is all. He is all star starter, and uh, he will be selected. Uh, uh, but uh, th- there is a lot of fuss about uh, all NBA and all um, star selection justified or not justified. I don't like it, you know. And like you said, a lot of people don't want responsibility for another people's contracts. Uh, there is a lot, a lot in stake, you know. Like you said, 32 millions. Uh, is a lot of money. Uh, I, I understand Jason Tatum. You know, I'm sorry that uh, he was not selected. But uh, again, 
if the Celtics uh, are having great uh, season, uh, the rest of the season, 22 games plus playoff run, uh, there is absolutely no reason the Jason Tatum not to be in the old, all NBA teams, right? I mean, the damage is already sure. done, but uh, I, I think that he will be. Uh, what uh, I want to ask you before, a um, couple of questions about uh, the trade deadline. The trade deadline has passed, but we are a little late. Um, uh, but uh, um, what about uh, uh, the moves that... Um, what about the moves that, uh, I mean, uh, for, for a long time, for a long time, after, I think, um, when, when, when was uh, 2015, when Isaiah was uh, traded from uh, uh, Phoenix Suns uh, to Boston, I think uh, in a long time, in a seven-year, this uh, trade, trade deadline, uh, this trade deadline was uh, uh, the, 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 the first NBA um, trade deadline when the Celtics were uh, very proactive and buyers. A lot of activities, three trades, the first trade, like Daniel explained, uh, dumping the players to get under the tax line, uh, not to be the tax repeaters in the future when uh, you have looming uh, you know, contract uh, extensions of the major stars and the other players. So uh, the first trade, okay, you can uh, understand why it was made. Uh, now, uh, De- Derek White uh, trade, uh, giving up Richardson and getting uh, De- Derek White, uh, uh, very interesting players from uh, San Antonio. We gave up uh, the first rounder. Uh, I mean, if I'm correct, uh, top uh, one protected uh, till uh, 2028. Why 2028? This is the, the big uh, question. And also in, um, uh, I mean, the third trade uh, uh, for Dennis Schroeder because he was expiring contract. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, um, we get, uh, returned practically, uh, get back... Uh, uh, get back uh, um, the Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice. Uh, uh, somebody mentioned in the audio that we uh, played that uh, he's having a contract like two years, uh, ten millions per year contract. Uh, but uh, um, I mean, Daniel Tice is uh, good to have around when he's healthy, because uh, I think that he's fitting the system. Now the question is. Uh, for you, it seems like uh, Brett Stevens is in, in win-now mode. Bobby, uh, do you think that the Celtics get better at this trade deadline or not? Yeah, I think they definitely did. I think they had an excellent trade deadline. And so there were a couple of years at this time where they would stand pat, for instance. And typically what they've done mm-hmm. so is buy and sell. So they moved off some players this time around, like Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder, it was highly likely that he was going to get traded. They were shopping him around the league. And then of course it ended up happening to the surprise of no one. And last year, keep in mind that they traded Tice and it was at almost the exact same time down to the minute as it was this year where they reacquired him. So they traded him and Javante green for luxury tax purposes. 
But they did also acquire Evan Fournier. So, again, buyers and sellers. And this time around, I thought they made excellent moves geared towards, one, setting themselves up with players who are under contract for multiple seasons, and two, who fit this team better. Daniel Tice was an important acquisition. I heard the clip of Chris Mannix talking with Felger and Holly. Tice matters because it's not just Robert Williams who he has to help pace through the season. Mm -hmm. It's Al Horford. Horford's minutes were often too high, for example. Mm -hmm. Once they really cut ties with Ennis Ennis Freedom in the rotation, they started Mm -hmm. to short-shift Horford, which is like what they do with Jason Tatum, for instance, sub out early in the first quarter, as an example, come back in late in the frame. But the problem with that for Horford is now you're looking at him logging well over 30 minutes, sometimes 35, for example, and that doesn't work with a veteran center who's you know closer to the end of his career than the beginning. So I think that having Tice as, one, an insurance policy, and two, being able to pace both players, he can share the court with either one of them, especially Robert Williams. I think that really works. Now, he's not a big-bodied center. That's something I'd still like to see them add as congested a rotation as that might make for. But when you think about someone like Joel Embiid, if Robin Lopez were to get bought out and the Celtics could add him, that would be a phenomenal addition in my point. Obviously, people are looking at Gary Harris of the Orlando Magic as well. I just wrote about Mark Stein reporting that it seems like neither side is pushing for a buyout on that front at the moment. It's, of course, a fluid situation, but Harris seems to be happy there, and they're enjoying having him mentoring their young backcourt in particular with guys like Cole Anthony. And so I think that the buyout market is how the Celtics are going to have to boost their rotation. Another point that Jason Tatum brought up on that podcast with J.J. Redick, Igor, was how exhausted the team was coming out of that Toronto Raptors series in the bubble and the toll that took on them playing against the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals and how it absolutely had a role in them not getting all the way to the NBA Finals. And so if you're going to go with only three players off the bench in your second unit, that works, but it does come at a price. That, so the Celtics can find at least one you. other person, and ideally two, yeah. just based on yeah. positions no. and having balance to lengthen exactly. out the rotation. It would go a long way for them, particularly in the playoffs. Exactly. Uh, look at them now. I mean, um, they have uh, eight guys that can play great defense, even in the playoffs when they are healthy. Uh, then. Richard Naismith, uh, a little drop-off, you know, uh, from 8 to 9, 10. But, uh, and of course, uh, the end-of-the-bench uh, signings like uh, Luke Cornett, Broderick Thomas, and uh, what is uh, the third guy that I f- forget, uh, another Sam guy Hauser. in other mind? Uh, Sam Hauser. Sam yes, Hauser. Right. Yeah. Those, those guys are the roster fillers. But, uh, what is the problem? We have eight-man rotations, like you mentioned in the playoffs. Look at the Detroit game that we mentioned. Smart was hurt at the previous game. Time Lord is out, and we must play those end-of-rotation guys that I mentioned. Uh, we finish with those guys, you know. At one point, somebody noticed at the Twitter, we had, like, Broderick Thomas, 
Sam Hausier, Hausier and um, uh, Pritchard, Langford, uh, lineup and uh, Luke Co 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 Cornet in the uh, garbage time. I mean, um, in the playoffs, like you said, at least two players uh, I would prefer to be added, but uh, we will see. Because one or two injuries and you're practically broken because you need all the players if you want to play intense NBA defense in the playoffs, you know. Uh, your players, when they play intense defense, will get um, five or six fouls some, sometimes, you know. Also, not only injuries. So, you need depth. And I think that um, um, the weakness of the roster is uh, depth right now. Uh, but uh, if they are better, I agree with you. Uh, they, they definitely got better. How much better? We will see in the second part of uh, the season after all NBA. Um, uh, for, for now, they jumped. They were 10. They are 6, like I mentioned. They are um, out of uh, playing tournament, which is uh, the success. And 9 games winning streak, like, like we mentioned. That was good success. And uh, I mean, we will see what happens at the buyout market. I mean, maybe, like you said, they will add uh, some uh, uh, some big names there. Um, I mean, big names from the buyout candidates. I mean, not big, big names, because the big names they just don't get. Yeah, Le LeBron's uh, the buyout. <laughs> LeBron will not get the buyout, but uh, we will see. Uh, what happened? Um, Bobby, uh, pleasure to talk with you. Let me uh, introduce you, Mr. Daniel. And again, thanks so much for uh, for coming in. Dan Daniel will take over. Daniel? Uh, thanks a lot, Igor. So, uh, Bobby, we will continue with uh, a couple of the other things in this situation. Obviously, Igor was talking about the All-Star situation. So, let's continue more with the Celtics here and what they will be facing as we get to the uh, second half. Of course, the unofficial second half is what we can call it, as, of course, we're already way past the you know, midway point in this situation in terms of the 41-game 41 um, 41 mark. So the NBA trade, line, trade deadline just passed in this case. Obviously, the big um, trade that really took everybody away was the one between the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, that sent... James Harden, obviously, to Philadelphia, and Ben Simmons over to Brooklyn. And, of course, we've had other news in this situation that has to do with, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, obviously, with the commissioner coming out and talking about the issue with the mandate out there and how he feels it's unfair because it's not allowing Kyrie to play, but yet athletes from other teams that are unvaccinated are allowed to play in this situation out there in Brooklyn. So that's made uh, the eyes basically go on Brooklyn even more in this case, especially now that – you know, Brooklyn seems to be plummeting in the standings due to the fact that, you know, Kyrie hasn't been able to play. Durant's down with an injury. And so you got a question where are they going to finish in the standings, you know. So I want your thoughts about what are we looking at, in your opinion, now with those two teams, Philadelphia and Brooklyn, when it comes to how those two players are going to basically go with their new teams. Obviously, a lot of people have kind of questioned Ben Simmons, you know, mentally, where is he going to be? knowing that he only has about 30 games or so left, basically maybe a little bit less, you know, to get himself mentally ready for the NBA playoffs. You know, a lot of people seem to think that's what it was, that mentally he broke down in Philadelphia. 
in this case, and that's what he's claiming, yet the team basically doesn't seem to agree with it. And then in Philadelphia, obviously, you got James Harden, who's got to basically now get into the best shape in the situation and really kind of become a cohesive unit with, you know, Harris and Joel Embiid. The Celtics, obviously, you know, Harden didn't get to play, but the Celtics just put a stopping on Joel Embiid, Harris, and the rest of the 76ers, which kind of showed they may have given up a little too much to get James Harden in this situation over there because, obviously, Paul Millsap did play in that game. So, you know, you didn't get to see the second piece of that deal, just not the big piece in this case. So you got to kind of question, was James, is James Harden going to be enough for the 76ers when they have to play one of those elite teams later on in the NBA playoffs? Yeah, I wouldn't judge Millsap specifically just yet because he's barely played dating back to about New Year's. He's obviously an older player as well, and that lack of mobility combined with the rust and needing to get into better shape, that all showed up for Millsap in, when he got in in garbage time against the Celtics the other night. As far as the trade and what it does for both teams, I love it for both sides. For the Sixers, they were not, in my mind, a top-tier title contender until they made this move. So now there's going to be a lot of series where they have at least one of the best players on the court, and there's going to be some where they have the top two guys on the floor. And you look at Harden and Embiid, one thing that in particular stands out is even though I'm not sure how effective of a pick-and-roll partnership that's going to transpire to be, they're two of the greatest when it comes to creating fouls and getting to the line ever. And with Harden, you know, sometimes that tends to cost him when the whistle changes in the playoffs. But when you have two guys who are able to do that at such a high level, that matters. And for the Sixers, they have not had a shot creator the likes of Harden who's, again, historically good in that capacity. So to add him to the mix for them while still being able to keep Thibault and Maxi, who I think his energy next to Harden's is really going to matter for Philadelphia and be important, I think they came away really well in this trade and the way that it elevates them into top-tier contending status. And for Brooklyn, they could win this deal short-term and long-term depending on what they get out of Simmons because – He's 25 years old. He's a phenomenal defender who's extremely versatile on that end. He makes them a more well-rounded team. His passing is obviously exceptional, especially in transition and in the open floor. And his facing issues look a lot different alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving than Joel Embiid. So now you can utilize more often these elbow sets where you get him the ball in the pinch post and for example, he either runs a dribble handoff with someone like Durant or Kyrie, or he fakes it and then does what he loves to where he dives to the rim immediately with the ball. And so these options, they look different, not to mention his concerns about shooting and going to the free throw line. They also, it means something different to the Brooklyn Nets than it did to the Philadelphia 76ers. Durant and Kyrie are happy to take all of the shots. They needed more shooting. They get that with Seth Curry. They needed a beefier big man. They get that with Andre Drummond. They have not been a good rebounding team. So he helps them in that regard. So I really like this trade for both sides. And then I don't think Brooklyn cares about where they are in the standings. It's just about making sure that Durant is healthy, about getting Ben Simmons into shape and up to speed and in the best condition possible come playoff time. 
And then, of course, there's a question about the vaccine mandate in New York and whether or not that's going to change to allow Kyrie to play in home games. Yeah, and obviously, you know, me and Igor will be kind of giving our thoughts in regards to that uh, situation later on. But, of course, you know, obviously we only have you uh, for a short period, so I'll let you give your thoughts in regards to that issue. Obviously, the commissioner did say that he feels it's unfair at this point, you know, now that, again, it's allowing players who are unvaccinated from other teams to have the right to, you know, play out there in New York. But Kyrie, obviously, you know, due to his decision not to get vaccinated, he's pretty much the only one who isn't having the right to actually play while being a a sports, you know, player from New York in this case. So basically the only players who are being affected are the actual players representing the city in this situation. And so obviously there, you know, the players out there and the, Coach Steve Nash is saying that he's hoping in this case that it will cause the mandate to change at some point now that the commissioner has kind of spoken out. But, of course, you do have a lot of people who are kind of saying, you know, that they understand where the commissioner is coming from, but they also kind of find it kind of convenient that you kind of held your breath or kept your mouth quiet until the point where you started to see Brooklyn started falling down in the standings in, in this situation. You didn't say nothing at the very beginning when you saw that this uh, mandate in this situation was unfair from the very beginning in the, in, at, at that point. Yeah, I don't think that he's speaking out now because the Nets are in the play-in tournament at the moment. I think it's more looking at the fact that you know, since the rule came out, there's been a booster that they, they knew there was going to be a spike in, you know, around the holidays and that then – give it a few weeks and you'll start to see the numbers go down. And that's what's happening in a lot of cities and states. So I think it's more the state of where we're at with the pandemic that has allowed Adam Silver to feel more comfortable speaking out. It also is weird to you know, hear different people who have a voice in the matter talking about how they don't like the, the mandate and acknowledging the hypocrisy of, well, if you're unvaccinated but play out of state, you can come to New York or California, for, in, for instance, and play, but not if you reside there at the moment, if you're playing for one of those teams. And so it's, just, it's weird to me that people who have a say in the matter are also speaking, about, speaking out about how they don't like that rule. Then again, I, you, know, you can always be outvoted and all that, I understand. I think that they're right when they mention that double standard and how it defies logic. I'm completely in agreement there. I think the majority of us are. But at the same time, if they're going to change the rules all of a sudden because a great basketball player who won't take the vaccine is being held out, I just think that also sends a bad message. And Eric Adams acknowledged that when he was speaking the other day. And so I think that's something that they are rightfully leery of because, again, it just it's not a good look for them to change the rules based on something like that in these times. Yeah, exactly. Especially with this league, knowing how the league gets criticized by a lot of fans for giving the the top players in this league such a special treatment with the officiating and all of that. They feel it. There's a double standard. Keep keep in mind, Daniel, just keep in mind that it's not a a league mandate. These are government mandates. 
Exactly. So if you was to make, you know, even make something like that happen just to basically give a special player, like you said, a special treatment, that, that then that's really going to basically justify the fans at that point saying that'll prove it in this situation. What we've been saying all along, that if you're one of those top players in the situation, anything will be done to basically give you, or if you're one of those, you know, big market teams that has one of those special players, anything will be done to make sure your team is at the very top in this case. So, you know, at the same time, Bobby, we had three trades made by the Celtics. So going, you know, with what we were saying, what you were saying about, you know, this thing of the, you know, Brooklyn and the Philadelphia 76ers now being, you know, at the very, towards the very top, the Celtics making those trades opened up five roster spots, as Igor said, in this situation. Now, a lot of people still don't think that the trades that were made to get Tyson White is really going to put the Celtics towards the very top of the East and really make them contenders to win this year. But as you said, the moves for the Sixers and the Mets kind of make it where now, you know, they're looking good towards the future, you know, as you could say, good this year, good towards the future. And many people now kind of feel that the clock is ticking for the Celtics squad in this situation. Brad Stevens made the right move now, but he's going to have to possibly do something to make this team even better if they're going to have a chance to basically now beat Brooklyn, knowing that you're going to have a Ben Simmons there, who's a third star that, like you said, is going to work perfectly with his role alongside Durant and Irving. And now you got James Harden, who's going to work well with, Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, who can you get to basically work as that third star to work alongside, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? By getting a Derek White and a Daniel Tice, you now basically brought in two players who can be legitimate players off the bench or who you can work to basically make some sort of trade. So when it comes to Brad Stevens, this was obviously his first year. How would you grade what he did at the NBA trade deadline at this point? I give him an A minus. I think he did a tremendous job. As far as title contention, I look at it from the standpoint of what is your team's margin for error? And the Celtics, their defense is championship caliber, but their offense, which even right now, if you just cut it from New Year's Eve until now, they rank 17th in points per game. So offensively, while they're certainly capable especially if Derek White is hitting threes and giving him that boost as a shooter then they're certainly capable of coming out of the east and winning the championship but again that margin for error is shorter for some of these teams and I think that includes Philadelphia and Brooklyn which is not to say the Celtics can't beat them but nonetheless when you look at a team like Milwaukee for instance it's Boston can compete they can beat any of these teams We've seen them hold up well against all of them, but nonetheless, I think when you get to a seven-game series, that margin for error is smaller for the Celtics than it is for these other teams at the top of the conference that I'm mentioning that the Celtics would have to get through to come out of the East. But I, I love the Derek White trade and another component because you talked about who is that third star. That That's a path that the Celtics have not committed to just yet, but they, in pulling this trade for Derek White specifically, they preserved the Evan Fournier trade exception, which is worth just north of $17 million. So that could be a significant piece, especially if they come out of this playoff run feeling like they don't need to surround the Jays with a third star. It's about getting 
the right supporting cast of role players around those two, which could bear a championship in the near future. If that's their feeling, then it makes it even easier to maximize that trade exception. And of course, there is, whether it's Derek White, you look at some of the other contracts they have, you look at Marcus Smart, you, they view Robert Williams as a core member of the team, but let's include him in the conversation too for now. You look at what they have to be able to go out and make a significant trade for a third star if they feel like that's what they need to do. They have the means to accomplish that. And I think that in trading away that 2028 top one protected draft pick, it was a really risky decision. We'll see how it plays out. But it also kind of lights that fire at the bottom of the rope and puts pressure on the Celtics to act accordingly in between now and then to make sure that they are consistently trying to maximize each season around the Jays and, and compete for championships. Because if things go south and you're giving up that pick, as small as the odds might be that it's number one, it is still a significant risk that they've attached themselves to and a motivator for how they'll operate moving forward. Okay. And the final two questions in this case, before I let you go, uh, obviously one of the negative things, again, you had a nine game winning streak that was utterly, you know, major impressive again with the starting with that one Oh seven 97 win over the Pelicans. And then that last one was the one thirty five eighty seven blowout win over the Philadelphia 76ers. But, you lost both Time Lord and Marcus Smart. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Inudoka ended up saying that uh, neither injury looks severe in this case, that uh, Marcus Smart was uh, obviously uh, limping uh, the day after his injury, but was not walking in a walking boot in this case. So it doesn't look like it's going to be a long-term thing. So for all we know, they might just be back in this case in the first game the Celtics have after the All-Star break. But would you be concerned going forward with the injury situation, specifically with those two, especially Time Lord, knowing how many games he's missed this season, uh, or does the or does the fact that you was able to bring in Daniel ease the tension in this situation, knowing that Tice has proven in the past with you that he can be a, a, a starting center caliber player. Yeah, I would think that all of it applies. I think Williams has stayed pretty healthy this season, but he's popped up on the injury report a few times with a sore right big toe. Now he's got the calf tightness, and it's both on the right side. And so that is a concerning situation, especially given his injury history. It's part of the importance of bringing in Daniel Tice as an insurance policy and someone who can pace him and Horford throughout the season. So when it comes to Williams, and smart the timing for this to happen is ideal given that it's a break right now but we'll see even with marcus smart someone who has had some injuries of course with his style of play one of those questions the celtics have to have in the back of their minds is how is he going to age for example we look at all these small point guards who traditionally do not age gracefully because it's just so much pressure on their bodies well the same applies to marcus smart's style of play and so we'll see how he's able to hold up over time if he needs to make any changes if he's capable of adjusting the way he plays for instance there's there are nfl wide receivers like one who comes to mind is danny amendola who consistently fighting for extra yards would put himself in harm's way and often pay the price for it 
And then once he started to change that, he was more available for his team. And so we'll see if Marcus Smart, if he makes any adjustments in his style of play, you know, maybe he dies for a few less loose balls, for example, or, or something along those lines, because you do have to be concerned about both of them, given all the factors that I just mentioned. But as far as moving forward, like you said, there is a real chance that at least one of them is back for the first game after the All-Star break and that both of them return not long after. Okay, and then the last question in this case. Uh, obviously, we've kind of debated this in the, in the Weebly Green Celtics fan forum group, but obviously Igwe mentioned the standings earlier. The 10 teams, obviously, that are currently slated for playoff, you know, on contention, obviously with the 7 to 10 spots being the play-in tournament teams, are separated by just nine and a half games from one to 10 in this case. When you look at the Western Conference teams, you basically have only the first three spots in this situation, which are the Phoenix Suns, Golden State Warriors, and Memphis Grizzlies that are separated by an amount like that, which is, of course, the Grizzlies eight games behind the Suns. All the other teams basically are behind the Phoenix Suns by a bigger margin in this situation, which obviously shows that the Eastern Conference is more competitive this year than the Western Conference in this case. Now, the Los Angeles Lakers at this point are in the ninth spot at 27-31, and 31, 21 games behind the Phoenix Suns, and they're only four games ahead of the San Antonio Spurs in the 11th spot. So just four games of not making the uh, NBA playoffs at this point. And, of course, this past Thursday, they lost Anthony Davis to an injury in this case, where he now is going to miss at least the next 11 games and could miss even more. And, of course, if he uh, misses, once he misses those 11 games in this situation, he will only have, along with the Los Angeles Lakers, 13 games left till the playoffs actually start. So the Lakers are really going to have to, you know, uh, play some tough games in this situation. Like they're going to have games against the Clippers. They're going to have one against the Warriors, the Rockets, so the Suns. So LeBron is really going to have to have a lot on his shoulders going down the stretch here without Anthony Davis in this case. So we debated with the, with the fans. Would you be willing to accept the Celtics losing in the first round if it meant the Lakers actually missed the playoffs altogether, knowing the hatred between the two fan bases in this situation? It seemed like some of the fans for the Celtics said yes. They would be willing to accept the first-round exit if it meant the Lakers basically missed the playoffs altogether just so that they could bash the Los Angeles Lakers fan base in this situation that their team with LeBron couldn't even make the playoffs at all in this case. So I want your thoughts on the Celtics fans getting to that point and at the same time, how much trouble do you think the Lakers are in at this point knowing what they're about to face the next 11 games without Anthony Davis and even further, because it seems like a lot of people are now starting to say it's time for them to get rid of Anthony Davis. And of course you have Russell Westbrook there and there's people saying they should get rid of him in this situation because it doesn't seem like anything is working for that, those, those put that team over there. And everybody seems to blame LeBron for it because he's the one that really everybody knows is the GM. He chooses the players he wants to have brought over there, and the GM basically does it for him. Yeah, I, I, I get the schadenfreude there, and I'm all for the pettiness. I still think you've got to prioritize your team and yourself and all that, so I would say that you shouldn't be willing to slight the Celtics to 
hurt the Lakers just a little bit more than that. So I, I would say, you know, let's, let's prioritize the right thing here. And that for if you're a Celtics fan is how your team does not a rival. And when it comes to the trouble, the Lakers are in, they've got the third most difficult strength of schedule remaining this season. They are absolutely in trouble. They've got flaws galore up and down their roster that have been well-documented since this team was put together. It was a mistake and it was made by LeBron James. They were going to trade for Buddy Heald and he stepped in and said, I want Westbrook. And so of course, they acquiesced, and it has backfired. Westbrook is gone at the end of the year. They'll, they'll trade him, and it'll be curious to see what they do moving forward, but it was a huge gamble. Everyone pointed out the concerns in their roster as it was playing out in real time, and then they took the court, and it has borne out that way. So the Lakers are in trouble. Anthony Davis, not only is there the injury concerns, but there are questions about his commitment and is he willing to be great, you know, just how motivated he is in that regard. There was him putting on weight, which seemed detrimental to him reaching his ceiling and playing the way that's best for him. So it has really been a disappointing season for Anthony Davis, even without the injuries. And at times he just, he doesn't look engaged in the action. So It'll be curious to see what the Lakers do this offseason to retool, but already you're hearing rumblings throughout the season about friction between LeBron James, Lakers ownership, and Rob Palenka. LeBron, for example, he has gone out of his way to praise Les Snead, the GM of the Rams, for the work he did to put together that Super Bowl champion. Today at All-Star Media, he praised Sam Presti is the, quote, MVP of the Thunder, which is true, by the way, but how often do you hear someone throwing bouquets out to another team's general manager? And so it just goes to show you that things are not great there, which doesn't mean that they aren't okay or can't be repatched or whatever. But as you hear LeBron talk about wherever my son is at when he comes into the league, I'm going to end my career there. It'll be his age 40 season it seems more and more likely that LeBron is not going to finish his career playing for the Lakers unless they draft Bronny. And as far as how they maximize whatever time they have left with him, they've put themselves in a difficult position to accomplish that because of all the picks that were given away for Anthony Davis. Doesn't mean it was a mistake, but it's the reality they live with now. And because they traded away so many of their role players to bring in Russell Westbrook, who's a negative value on the trade market so they're in a really tough spot even though it is the most attractive market in free agency and they have LeBron and AD it's going to be hard for them to put together the right cast around those two totally agree so Bobby was a great interview I want you to let everybody know where we can uh, find you online in this situation before I let you go yeah so for Celtics content you can find me at SI is in Sports Illustrated, so at SI.com slash NBA slash Celtics. That's the site there. And you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby Kravitsky. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-R-I-V as in Victor, I-T-S-K-Y. Okay, so Bobby, I want to thank you again for joining us, buddy. And we'll look to talk to you again next month. Always a pleasure, Daniel. Have a good one. Uh, you too. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, that was Bobby Kravitsky. And Igor now will have us go to block two. I can see that our, our third co-host is with us on hold. 
in this case, which will be Andy. So we will hear from Brad Stevens in this case, in the third block in this situation, and then get back to our team, and we will discuss our own opinions in this situation, debating back and forth in regards to some of these topics in this case that we just spoke with Bobby. So again, here is Brad Okay, so here is Brad Stevens, as I was saying, talking to Toucher and Rich a day after the trade deadline. White in the paint. Oh, mama! Derek White, that was vicious! Another guy who's 7-1. So that should be worth four points. You're talking about adding a four-point line. That should be a four-pointer. You're throwing it down over a guy who's 7-1, and Derek White listed at 6-4. Somehow the people of San Antonio founded two guys as cool as Fonzie. <laughs> it's, let alone one is difficult enough. Uh, Brad Stevens, he is the uh, head of the whole shebang there with the Celtics. He's brought to you by UMass Global. UMass Global is a leader in adult education. Uh, one of the great uh, uh, Holland Oates songs. Better your career by earning <laughs> your degree at UMass Global. Learn more at umassglobal.edu. That's umassglobal.edu. Brad joins us on the Volkswagen Dealers Expert Hotline. Mr. Stevens, uh, hello. I'm not overly happy you've already talked to the press because this makes this a lot less important. But uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks, guys. Sorry I already did that. Yeah. I apologize. I'm just going to repeat. they They weren't happy with me either. They were probably up late into the night doing all of their work, and I'm more of a morning person, so I feel bad about that, but sorry. I think I'm just going to read all their questions again. Is that cool? Because you had really good answers the first time. I think we're just going to kind of just mimic exactly what happened. So get ready to just kick back and ignore everything here. Well, I'll tell you this, Brad. If you wanted the seal seal of approval from uh, these two gentlemen that I do the show with, you have gotten that. The Rich and John, very excited. They like what what you're doing, and they feel that they see an overall plan uh, coming to fruition. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, time will tell, right? I think, um, and, you know, our moves yesterday were not without risk, right? With not without some cost. And so, um, you know, I, I, as I said before, I appreciate the, the seven guys that, that are no longer here, especially the five that were here every single day over the last six months. They all, they all added value and they all are, are good people and they all, you know, I root for them all moving forward. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, my, my biggest thing is obviously how do we accentuate our best players and bring in guys that can really play, um, when it's all on the line in those biggest moments. And, you know, I think that having a chance to add a guy like Derek, um, is pretty unique. I mean, he's just a guy that I think everybody, in the in in this basketball community really understands just how valuable he is and his willingness to to um, do all of the little things make the next right play and really compete defensively um, and has the talent to do more than that but again the willingness to play a role in that and the savvy that he plays with should fit in really well with our group and then obviously adding Tice um, you know, is, is, it gives us more opportunity to 
you know, to maintain our level um, of and how we want to play because I think that's one of the things as you're watching us play on both ends of the court, you know, we're, we're, we, we play a certain way and it requires a really mobile big. And so, you know, if Al misses time or if Rob misses time, then you've got a plug and play guy that's, there's not going to be, you know, there's not, it's not going to feel much different when he's on the court versus those guys. And so, um, I think that that's a, you know, something that will benefit us in the now and into the future. And so we've got, you know, 10 guys on our roster today and, um, they're all contracted beyond this year. Our coaching staff is building a continuity with our team that I think is important. Our players are building a continuity of how they want to play. And, you know, hopefully we can grow from here. So, Brad, we had Danny Ainge on for, I think, the last five or six at trade le- deadlines. At least, yeah. at least. I mean, it's been a lot of them. Before and- the media or after the media? <laughs> <laughs> he was, dude, he did us a solid. He, as soon as the trade was he made, he said, get on the air. He called us from the golf course. He called us whenever he wanted to. <laughs> no, no. You know? he, you know, he would sleep over on, usually on the trade deadline. Yeah. We'd make a four in the you living guys, room. You guys- you guys can talk to Christian about that. He did my schedule today. He's the one that he's the one that you guys, I'm going to throw him under the bus right here. I like that you feel bad about it. I like that you doubled back on that and, and that you feel bad. Thank you. Makes me feel special. But for all these trade deadlines, you know, Brad, you know, we would talk to Danny, and you know, most of the time, you know, we'd be here, and he's like, you know, I made a lot of calls, there just wasn't deals to be made, and so you know, sometimes it's understandable. But he has somewhat admitted to us that. You know, sometimes teams don't like getting a call from Danny Ainge because he had a reputation of, you know, I don't want to say fleecing, but sometimes trying to get blood from a stone uh, because he'd been so successful in the past. I read something that, um, and I believe it might have been from The Ringer, but there was one of the insiders said that he had spoken with some people uh, in higher offices that you had spoken with, and they're like, it is night and day dealing with Danny Ainge than it is dealing with Brad Stevens. And this wasn't as much a diss on, on, on Danny Ainge as it was that you have a completely different demeanor and that they don't feel, you don't have that reputation that you're going to try to fleece them. Did anybody say that to you or did you get a feeling when you spoke to people that, wow, now I can have more open conversations with the Celtics because I feel a little more comfortable speaking to you? Well, I will say this. Danny was really good, so that's probably not good. (laughs) <laughs> no, uh, I would say that everybody just has to be their own person. You know, like you have to approach it in your own authentic way, just like, you know, and, and um, you know, I appreciate, you know, working with the people that I've worked with thus far. And, and I will say this, like when you talk about, you know, I, I talked about a number of trades and they just didn't come to fruition. I mean, we, I can't tell you how many variations of trades we talked about in the last two months. I mean, there's been, you know, hundreds is, is definitely appropriate, right? And so sometimes it's just a call. Sometimes it's a person walks by you in the hall. Sometimes it's just a meeting with your staff. You know, a lot of times it's a, hey, what do you think about um, sending us Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? It's no. And, you know, sometimes it's just as easy as that. And so, like, you know, but there are there are tons of, conversations leading up to yesterday and that's what makes the the deadline so fascinating right it's like you know we we didn't think that Tice move was going to happen we had we had you know 
thought that after Derek, after we acquired Derek, we may do one other small deal. Um, but we, you know, that thing came up late. But we had talked about Tice as a good fit for how we play for months. And so, you know, it's just like sometimes you just have to be ready for that. And, um, you know, and, and time will tell if, if those moves were good or not. I mean, I don't think doing something just for the sake of doing something is a good thing. Um, and we, you know, we, we ended up trading some, some good prospects and players and so, and picks. So that, you know, who knows? We'll see. Now there's a narrative right now, Brad, that is, seems to be in, a, in a, several different places after most people are giving you a, a good review for what you did, like, you know, the grades and things like that. But after that, like Gary Washburn, the headline of one of his articles in the Boston Globe this morning is Brad Stevens corrects more of Danny Ainge's mistakes with trade deadline moves. Yeah. What do you think of that narrative that there's been several different people who have run with that? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I think every, every team is unique. We're, we're, we're trying to, to build a brand new team with a, you know, with a new coaching staff. Um, and, and, you know, again, build some continuity in this. And, um, you know, some of the guys that, that we have, that we have had to move on from are really good players. I mean, Josh Richardson's a really good player. Um, Romeo Langford's a really good player and prospect. Dennis Schroeder, you go on and on. Ennis Canner, you, you go on and on. Like, sometimes, you know, you have a chance to do some things that you think might be good for your team, um, both in the near and long term, and sometimes you don't. But nobody works harder than Danny. Nobody was more measured than Danny. Nobody was more prepared than Danny. And so, you know, I, I just wouldn't, you know, I, I appreciate, um, you know, Gary's, you know, Gary has a job to do and he does it, he does it well and he's, he's good at it. And, um, but I also, I just can't, I can't look at it that way because of the amount of respect and admiration I have for Danny. All right, Brad, with all the moves you made yesterday, you have a handful of open roster spots. I mean, how many of these roster spots are going to be filled by main players? How many roster spots are going to be filled by free agents? And how many of these roster spots are going to be filled by Isaiah Thomas? (laughs) Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, so we'll we'll probably, we'll probably add to, to, you know, today. Um, And that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to do that. And then right now those, you know, we're, we're going to look at, we're going to add to what we think our biggest needs are. Um, and I, I think, you know, having, having another, having a little bit more insurance on our front line is really important to that. And, um, you know, I think we've all said all along adding shooting is really important to that. Um, and preferably with, some 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 real size can play some four three type person. So that's what we're going to do in the near term, and then um, you know after that, then we will uh, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll we'll make the we'll kind of look at across the landscape, figure out what our team looks like over the next four games. You know, this will be a great chance to really see what we look like if we're if we all stay healthy because you know this team tonight's great. You know, Atlanta's beaten us twice. Philly is you know. Um, just added to their, their, you know, how good they are. And, you know, and Detroit has given us fits for years as a physical, tough group. So, 
you know, this will be a great time to see what we need, and then we'll assess there moving forward. I've I, I, I got to ask you just point blank because every time something like this happens, you know, the name Isaiah Thomas does get thrown out there. People around here love him, and they see that you've got these two open roster spots. What do you think of Isaiah, and do you see there being any kind of place for him at any point on the Celtics? I love Isaiah. I've talked to Isaiah, um, you know, obviously ever since he's left. Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go into again what we're going to do beyond, um, you know, beyond today, but we're going to evaluate our team and see what we need and, and kind of go from there. And, you know, one of the things that we, that we do need to do as part of this is assess, okay, do, you know, we, we've brought in some guys that, that really know how to play, that can really accentuate our guys, but also have a, a real strong, you know, um, understanding of who they are and, and what they bring to the table. And so we'll, we'll assess, okay, do we need to add, you know, a veteran leader? Or do we need to um, add young, you know, um, guys that haven't um, that made it yet but are on possible good long contracts to – to add and meet the needs of our team. I mean, there's all kinds of discussions that go on, but that does not change anything about how I feel about Isaiah, regardless of what we decide. And he's just a special guy. He's a special person, and um, I understand why everybody feels that way. You know, and so that's my answer to that. What's this well, day- that's what we need here in a couple weeks. Well, what is this day like? You know, because, I mean, you've lived through this, you know, being, you know, just with the Celtics alone and being in the NBA, being on the other side of a trade deadline, where especially as a coach where you're so close to these guys and you're seeing them every day, where, you know, every they're, they're on Twitter, they're hearing their names are about to, you know, they, 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 they're yeah. going to Houston, they're going one place to the next. What is the day after like when they realize they haven't been traded and they can kind of have that sigh of relief. Can you kind of take us into, like, how, how these guys react on, uh, on the day after a trade deadline? Well, it depends on their where they are in their career and where they are in the team rotation. Yeah. I mean, I've had a couple trade deadlines where I walk into the gym and a guy's disappointed he didn't get traded. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he doesn't like Boston. It doesn't mean he doesn't like our team. It doesn't mean he's not a good guy. It's just like, Man, I really wanted to go somewhere to play. Who was that guy? You know, and you, you know, I'm not going to go through that <laughs> stuff. No. But and but I think that the, the reality is is sometimes that opens up a great opportunity for somebody. You know, like it's it, it was probably super hard for Derek to leave San Antonio yesterday. I mean that that place is special. He he's a big huge part of it. Pop loves him. The whole group loves him. Like. Like that was probably really, really hard, and but he's really excited to be here, right? And so, there's a lot of emotions that go into that, and and I think the the hardest part for me in this job is a waving guys and b having to call them to tell them they're traded. Now again, you know everybody is super um, professional about it and everything else, but it doesn't mean it's not without its emotions. So, I mean, it's that's the that's the human side that's that's difficult. And we didn't, you know, you never want to trade seven guys in the middle of the season. That's like, I hope I never, I hope we never do that again. All right. Well, Brad's got to go. And Brad, I uh, look forward to Denzel Valentine uh, wearing a very similar <laughs> uniform as that he wore in college. There so ably. I mean, if you want to talk Are about you a toughness. Are you a Sparty fan? 
I am. I uh, I went Are to Rollins really? College. I went to Rollins College, but I'm from Detroit, so I've adopted the Spartans at a very early age. And <clears throat> I love Izzo. And I love his t- the toughness of ask, his players. Yes. Can I ask you? Can I ask you how a guy that grew up in Detroit ended up at Rollins College? Was it just a weather choice? <laughs> it was. I was a C student who got a 760 verbal on my SAT. So I, a, a private schools, if we were willing to pay, said we'll fit you in. The public universities. I was waitlisted at Michigan State, which shows you what an intellectual I am. So uh, we, was, we took we took the we took the self and we we practiced there at Rollins College, or we did, like, an optional shooting a few years ago. Yeah. Go. I've been there. been on yeah. campus. My so you said it's greatness. The, the R of Fred Tucker was say, still there. Props for Brad for knowing where Division Three school is randomly. The all-time of well, Division Two basketball. The Sorry. all-time leading three-point shooter, I believe, in NCAA history went to Rollins, if I'm not mistaken. It's a, it's a really good Division Two program with a lot of tradition. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. And in, in a good climate. I get it. I get it. I, I went to Ohio Wesleyan the day before, and it was so icy they couldn't take me on the tour. And the next day I was in Orlando, and I said, I think I'll be going here. Thank you. It, it pays to be an only child from an upper-middle-class family, uh, Brad. I'm, I'm not ben, – Ben, with that, I'm not, a, I'm not judging your intelligence by your SAT score. It sounds like a common-sense decision to me. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, the SAT score was really good. <laughs> All right, Brad, thank you. Uh, it was the grades that weren't. All right, Brad, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. See you later, Brad. See you guys. Okay, so we are back in this situation. I have uh, my second co-host with me, Andy uh, Vernon, with me. Andy? Yeah, hey, how are you doing, Dan? Hey, buddy. And then we also have a caller with us, which is our buddy Lou in this case. Lou? Hey, hey. buddy. And so we uh, will wait for Igor to uh, join us eventually. I already uh, uh, received a message from him, so he said that the, he uh, had to take care of something, so he will be back. So you guys, let's continue where we were, uh, where I left off with Bobby in this case. Obviously, uh, you heard uh, some of the topics in this case, and obviously Bobby had a quite the, um, I guess you could say, the opinion on a few of the things in this situation. So first, let's talk with the trade deadline. Obviously, again, we. Uh, didn't get to be on the air last week in order to actually get, give all our thoughts in this situation. So let's get your opinions in this case. Again, the Celtics uh, ended up making three trades in this case, where the Celtics in total ended up with two players coming back to the Celtics. The Celtics ended up trading away P.J. Dozier, center boy boy, a future second-round pick and cash considerations to the Orlando Magic and got a future second-round pick in exchange. The result of that trade was that the Celtics got under the luxury tax and cleared two roster spots on the team. And so that was the first um, first trade they made. Then the Celtics' second, um, um, second trade was them trading uh, for Derek White in this case, of course, he is a free agent at the, for the 2025-2026 season. So you got him for four years in this case. He makes just under $15.2 million. And you sent away Josh Richardson, who was a free agent after next season. So you would have had him only for this year and next year. 
as well as Romeo Langford being sent out, who was a restricted free agent after next season. So, again, a player with a two-year deal this year and next year, as well as sending away a 2022 first-round pick, which was protected. So it's a, a top-four protection, so meaning if the pick ends up being one of the first four picks for 2022, the Celtics will keep the pick in this situation. And the Celtics in this deal – ended up saving 241117 in salary. So, obviously, the Celtics ended up getting, I would say, probably the best player in the deal while also shaving off a little bit of money, basically, from the salary books. And then the third trade was obviously sending away Dennis Schroeder, Bruno Fernando, and Eames Freedom, with, of course, Schroeder being the biggest name of that deal in terms of who the Celtics sent out. But we all know that that was expected. We've been saying about saying that for months. As Schroeder is a free agent, was expect was going to be a free agent this summer, and in exchange, you got Daniel Tice, obviously, to come back this way. And Daniel Tice is a player who is under contract for several years. In this case, he makes nine million this season. In this in this in this situation, or just under under nine million, and has three years. So this year, next year, and the year after that under a contract and then his fourth year for you is actually going to be a team option so the Celtics could basically keep him here for four years and so Igor is back with us so again you have three play, uh, uh two players that came back you sent out in this case uh five uh in this in this situation actually seven and in the end the Celtics cleared up five roster spots, ladies and gentlemen. That was one of the bigger things, as I mentioned earlier. A lot. Five roster mm-hmm. spots as well, while also getting under the luxury tax and shaving off, a, you know, by shaving off all that money, meaning that they could actually go the route of adding more players after the trade deadline. So... Uh... One 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 moment. Uh, somebody is listening uh, the show. I'm hearing myself as echo. So we will mute everybody and give word one by one, so that we can eliminate echo. Yeah. Uh, please go on. Okay. So yeah. So again, the Celtics uh, basically shaved off. Um, they basically got five roster spots which now means in this situation that the Celtics can add several players if they want to join the team for the rest of the season, you know, playoff run in this case. Of course, they still got to abide by NBA rules when it comes to free agency because obviously if it's a free agent, they have to go by basically free agency rules in this case. Or the Celtics can go for a player who's in the waiver, you know, the waiver wire, a player who's been waived by their team, which would be more likely in this case, because obviously the Celtics, in this case, if they go for a player who's waived, can use those coveted TPEs, which, of course, the Celtics, at this point, you guys, have 10. 10 TPEs at this point, which, of course, you all heard Bobby um, um, Kravitsky mention it. In this case, they kept that Evan Fournier TPE, which is the biggest one of all at this point. The Celtics could use a TPE to actually pay for the salary of a player who gets waived 
which would allow them to practically outbid any other player or any other team, should I say, that wants to go after a player who's been waived. You know, so they already ended up making in this situation the Celtics two, um, two deals that ended up bringing two players to the Boston Celtics since they ended up um, um, going the route of actually um, making these trades, and we can hear the um, echoing again in this situation. But, uh, again, they made uh, two deals in this situation by officially uh, signing Sam Hauser in this case and uh, Luke Cornett in this situation, if I'm correct. So those two took up two of the yeah. five spots. So we're Broderick, left at... uh, Broderick Thomas two-way contract, Sam Hauser and uh, Luke Cornett. Yeah, so... 13 players. So, yeah, so you have in this situation, if I'm correct, uh, three spots in this situation because obviously the two-way contract can always be sent back down to the mm-hmm. you know, um, to the minor minor leagues as they call it, you know, the G League. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have three spots left over at this point, meaning that if the Celtics do have somebody in this situation that uh, comes up on the waiver wire, they can go after them. So I want to get you guys' opinion. How do you think about this thing? Uh, again, Kravitsky said he gives Brad Stevens an A minus because again, this was his first first official general manager trade deadline. In this case, we all know what uh, Danny Ainge was like in this situation as a, as our GM in this situation. Most you know um, trade deadlines, he barely did anything in this in this case. You know, the, the trade deadline would come and go, and we're all waiting, waiting, waiting for some sort of news from Adrian Wojnarowski or you know, or someone in the situation to say that something did something and we wouldn't hear a damn thing. It would be crickets basically in our homes in this situation when it comes to the Celtics news. But I've got to say, I actually got to give Brad Stevens a pass in this situation. You know, uh, we should have a damn parade in my opinion, you know, for uh, the way Brad Stevens did it. Because not only did he actually get two players in Tyson uh, White, in my opinion, that could be used for a trade later on if you try to go after that coveted third star, but you opened up the roster. Danny, two, two, two players that actually can play that are not dummies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Two, two players that can actually play in this situation, two players who have contracts that go beyond next season, which are valuable if you want to go after a superstar in this case. And at the same time, you opened up several roster spots to make sure that if you feel that this team is legit this season, you can go ahead and actually get the players you need while having all while using those TPEs you got, but keeping the coveted one, Evan Fournier, separated and not using it in this situation because you got a lot of minor ones in this case, as I mentioned. For anybody who uh, might actually want to know in this situation, uh what the Celtics are looking at in this case when it comes to the uh, TPEs in this situation. Uh, the Celtics right now, in terms of, like I said, TPEs have 10. I'm going to pull it up at this point. So I'm going to let Andy go first here while I pull it up in this case. So, Andy, what are, what's your opinion when it comes to the Celtics trade deadline? Yeah, uh, can you guys hear me okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, when we look at uh, with the trade deadline, I mean, I, I guess I, you know, I, 
you have to give Brad Stevens a decent grade because the team didn't get worse. So, mm-hmm. and he managed to get us under the tax. So that's, those are both good benefits. And I think, you know, I think the biggest concern I have with Derek White is I do, I feel like we overpaid for him. I feel like we overpaid for what he does. I agree. Um, I'm not sold that his contract is really that good. However, I think he has a bigger role in Boston in a lot of ways than he had in San Antonio. So it may be that he actually, you know, right, with a different role, a different role defined for him, he may actually play into the contract value. One one question, uh, one question, because you mentioned, uh, uh, Felger mentioned it. Why do you think San Antonio traded him? Well, I think San Antonio, so Derek White, and this is something that, uh, one of the reasons I wasn't that keen to pay as much as we paid for him, he was not a, he was their primary starter, I guess you would say, but he was not their full-time starter. He was sharing um, starts with people, you know, like Lonnie Walker, I think had a couple starts, uh, Vassal, uh-huh. can't remember his first name, but he had a couple starts. So Derek White wasn't really their you know, their sole starter there. So I think San Antonio said, you know, like, well, if we could get some other young pieces like Langford, um, plus getting Josh Richardson, I think kind of fits nicely in there with, uh, you know, the way San Antonio tends, you know, has been trying to play recently. So uh-huh. I think they kind of figured that they don't really need him. Uh, Boston, I think, sees White as being almost, of a, almost a point guard, uh, like a backup secondary point guard with Smart. Whereas uh, San Antonio is really set on DeJounte Murray being their their mm-hmm. number one point guard um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. So I don't think that – I think to them Derek White was kind of expendable. He had a big contract, and given the role that San Antonio had for him, you know, 18 mil, 15 to $18 million a year is a lot to pay for a guy who's, you know, like a six-man slash, you know, starter – starter slash six man. So I think that, you know, I think that kind of factored into why they were willing to trade him. He was just kind of expendable and Boston gave him a pretty good offer. I mean, they got what, uh, they got our first round pick next year, which isn't likely to be that good. Then they have a pick swap in 28 and sometimes those pick swaps can work out for you pretty well. Um, it all depends on where the team's going. So really San Antonio, you know, and then in addition to that, they got Richardson and Langford, who I think in San Antonio's scheme, or, you know, like Richardson especially, um, I think he's going to kind of replicate, you know, a lot of what Derek White did. He may be more valuable to them because Josh Richardson is probably better as a shooting guard. He's a better shooter. And so you put him at the shooting guard spot next to DeJounte Murray, it's a better fit than Derek White is. Um mm-hmm. And that's not saying Derek White is a bad player. I think he has a better fit right now in Boston, especially uh-huh. with uh, Marcus Smart going down injured. So I think that um, he's, going, he's a player who's going to benefit Boston, but I don't like the contract. I think we overpaid for him. Um, also, yeah, also, as for shooting? Daniel Tice, what's that? What about, shoot, what about shooting? Well, his shoot, shooting has been that... pretty bad mm-hmm. in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I think Boston's going to use him more as a point guard now, especially with Smart down. So I don't think the shooting's as much of an issue at this point. We're looking more for playmaking. With that mm-hmm. said, you know, he's had some solid games since he got to Boston, um, but he hasn't been making a lot of plays for his teammates. And he hasn't, you know, he, he's just kind of been quintessential Derek White, which is, you know, a very, you know, a good defender, 
solid guy all around. He'll give you a little bit of everything, but he's not going to impress you with anything, you know. And that's kind of Derek. You know, that's been Derek White. Now, the good side for Boston is he's a guy you you know what you get. He's, he's pretty consistent at being you know an average to slightly above average player. So, you know, in, in some ways that's more valuable to a coach than a guy who's hot one night, cold another night. Because, you know, you kind of put him out there. You know pretty much what you're going to get. He pretty consistently. So that can be valuable too. Um, then just real quick, the other one, Daniel Tice. Uh, I like Tice coming back a lot. Uh, he's somebody who knows our defense really well. He played, in, you know, he was he would direct a lot of Stevens' defensive schemes. Um, he can stretch the floor. He's kind of a hit or miss three point shooter. You know, very hot or cold, but he at least hits. You know, he could get hot enough that teams will have to guard him. And then his ability to seal, I think, is probably the most valuable thing. That ability to seal off his defender in the paint will allow Boston to run double big lineups if they want to and still have the driving lanes open if Tice can seal off his defender. So I really like bringing Daniel Tice back. And, you know, the thing, I, the other thing I like about Tice is he's, he's kind of a workman-like guy. You know, he'll go down there. He'll, he'll, he'll do what you tell him to do. He'll give it his best shot. Doesn't complain. Seems to be a pretty good team player. So, and I think Boston really needed something like that. So I think overall, I think it was a pretty good, good trade deadline. Um, okay, great stuff. Um, I am uh, searching for short audio. Uh, Daniel. Uh, uh, okay. Um, so since uh, Daniel didn't play uh, the Harden, uh, I mean, uh, let's. Uh, Blue dropped. Uh, yeah, uh, sadly, I was going to give him word, but uh, it seems like he dropped. Uh, so, uh, Woj, uh, let's let's uh, <clears throat> let's hear um, uh, later Harden audios and Danny uh, trade exceptions after audio. Why was San Antonio willing to give up White? Exactly what I asked, Ken. They are being aggressive. A lot of it last year was to offload Kemba Walker's contract in the Al Horford deal. Uh, but now they get a veteran in his prime in Derek White, uh, who's a good player. I mean, he scores, he rebounds, he's still 27 years old. He's under contract for a while, which is important to the Celtics because they have luxury tax issues kicking in. And um, Boston, when I talked to Brad Stevens last weekend, he felt like they had enough defensively. He wanted more playmakers, more shooters, more offensive shot creators. And that's what they get in Derek White. Great point. And the last mm-hmm. point is what I got to ask you about. I mean, Derek White seems like a guy that needs more playing time, needs more of an opportunity. Is he getting that in Boston with this group? Yeah, I think he will. I think to Ryan's point, you know, I've been in the Spurs, uh, you know, obviously that franchise. They develop, they develop, and Derek White has developed. And now I think you take that product, Brad Stevens gets a chance to get him, and he will fit right in because he plays the game the right way. He's a big point guard, but also he can score. He can handle. I think this is a great fit. And then I think if you look at, you know, for the San Antonio Spurs, Pop's looking at Josh Richardson and Langford as another guy. Romeo Langford will end up being better in that Spurs uh, organization. They will develop and develop. He has all type of potential, and I'm sure that's what Pop and those guys looked at. Why is it that the Spurs are so good at developing players like Derek White? Because a guy named Greg Popovich, he's pretty good. <laughs> Not only as a coach, but that whole organization understands player development. You know, they have been one of the top.
Pops, and I think also the Toronto Raptors for me, of watching guys develop over the years. And as you can see, they are extremely high on Primo, and I think that's the reason why you saw this trade. Speak more on Josh Primo, would you, Ryan? Because here's a guy that 19 years old, drafted, not seeing much playing time as a rookie compared to other guys taken in the lottery. And that's a big part of this deal, Chris. Josh Primo has been playing in the G League for the Austin Spurs. But when you have three or four young guys at the same position, as Smitty knows, it's really hard, if not impossible, to develop all of them at the same time. They kind of block each other. They're competing for minutes. Clearly, DeJounte Murray has emerged as a star, an all-star, Mr. Triple-Double, uh, heading to Cleveland next week. Um, so I, I think with looking at Derek White, San Antonio's calculation was, well, Murray's our guy. Uh, Primo maybe can be that second guy. Uh, Lonnie Walker is, is a third guard. They didn't have room for all four of them. So this adds another young player in Romeo Langford. They'll see if they can develop him. He is still very young and talented offensively. They get a pick to play with. Uh, that pick is protected to four, Chris. As of today, it would be in the teens. It probably comes in somewhere between 18 and 25. That's the Celtics pick this year. Uh, so another asset for San Antonio to play with. But um, the Spurs continue to be patient and continue to look forward, which we didn't know if they do that, Smitty, with Greg Popovich in his 70s. Uh, but to his credit, to the franchise's credit, Pop is doing what's best in the Spurs' long-term interest because I think this deal makes Boston better today because they get the best player in the deal in Derek White. And we are, <clears throat> again, live. Uh, we hear, uh, we heard audio, Celtics Talk Radio episode 307. In the third hour, you can expect um, NBA news, uh, the new segment that we are a- a- entering. Uh, you know, right now, now, Daniel, I have um, analysis of Derek White that is not popular, of course. Maybe the, this is not true, uh, but the time will tell. Uh, anyway, um, you wanted to uh, finish with your trade exceptions uh, that we have. And, and, and by the way, um, I mean, um, trade exceptions are nice to have, but uh, I don't think that we can use and we will use a majority of them. What we can do is uh, we can um, extend them. Uh, you know, from trade to trade, extend the period of time uh, that um, we are having them. Because we trade one player uh, using trade exception, then we create another trade exception for the next year, then the next year we are using trade exception in another trade, then we extend it, etc., etc. So, uh, please go on, Danny, with your trade exceptions. Then I will uh, give my part of uh, Derek White. Then we will go to all NBA news, like James Harden trade, obviously, and a couple of injuries. Yeah, so again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Celtics trade exceptions range from 500000 to 17442857 So the first one, which is the least, 500000 is the Moses Brown trade exception with Dallas that will expire on the 27th of June of this year. So it only has a couple of uh, months left in this case. So the Celtics don't use it by June 27th, it's gone. The Celtics, in this case, have the Eames Freedom trade exception, which, of course, was created with the deal with uh, the Houston uh, Rockets in this case, which is worth $1,669,178. So they got the full amount with that one. That will expire on February 10th of 2023 next year. So they got that all the way to that time. Then they have a trade exception of $1,782,621. 
that will we, well, that has to do with Bruno Fernando trade with Houston again to 2023. Then the PJ Dozier trade with Orlando, one million nine hundred and ten thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars, goes all the way to the same date to 2023. Now remember, a lot of these things you're probably wondering how did they get these uh, trade exceptions that they basically you know sent these guys out for guys like Tice and, uh, and you know, obviously uh, Derek White. That's where basically the Celtics making, you know, the deals, but taking those guys and absorbing them into trade ex- exceptions they already had allowed them to basically create these exceptions, just like Igor said, basically ex- extending them. So $2,151,220 for Boy Boy, 2-10-2023, a five million eight hundred and ninety thousand dollar one from Dennis Schroeder for two ten twenty twenty three, then one that w- that was worth six million eight hundred and seventy nine thousand one hundred dollars, but now is worth five million ninety six thousand dollars four seventy nine, that will expire on five seventeen twenty twenty two, then six million nine hundred and seven thousand eight fifteen from Hernan Gomez. That expires on the 19th of January for next year, 2023. Then you got the Tristan Thompson one that was basically created that was worth $9,720,900, but now has only $1,440,549 in this case. That was the one, you guys, that basically absorbed Daniel Tice's um, contract in this case which is why you was able to get the trade exceptions for all the guys that were basically sent out for him. That one will expire on the January on, J, on July 7th of this year. And then of course the big one, 17,142,857 with Evan 48. New York okay. Uh, so, Daniel, is that all about the trade exceptions that you wanted yeah. to say? Yeah, just okay. sending out the information for people to know. Um, first of all, I think that the Celtics get better with uh, those trades. Um, the two, uh, to say, bad things about our roster is short bench. As I said, that's why I cannot see us getting uh, the deep playoff run. And uh, another one is uh, shooting. We didn't solve shooting, and I am not uh, sold into the Celtics' top three players uh, to transform into knockdown shooters uh, right at once. Um, talking about Marcus Smart, uh, uh, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Uh, and uh, I don't think that we have shooters uh, also around them. I don't think that Horford will shoot 40% in the playoffs um, for threes, um, and I don't think that uh, White will is knockdown shooter. I mean, I saw that he started like 5-11 for threes. This is miss or make league. Everybody's talking about the defense. NBA is based on the offense because that is attracting the public and emphasis in the playoffs is about the offense. And despite the great statistics, I still think that we're offensively limited team. Anyway, about Derek, trade, Derek White's trade, uh, we cannot judge it now. We cannot judge it now because 
uh, I think that uh, uh, first, first, first of all, uh, uh, we are uh, set to be, we are set to be in win now mode. Okay. So um, what does that mean? That means that um, if we are in uh, the NBA finals uh, in the next uh, five years, for example, uh, or three years, let's put it short. In the next three years, if we are Eastern Conference Finals or Finals, finals um, I will say that this trade deadline moves and the summer moves that are coming, they are absolutely successful and they, they transform the Celtics into winning teams, the true contender. This is very simple. There is no, uh, you know, mudding up the water. So um, we cannot judge about the trade. Uh, did this trade made the Celtics better? I would say yes, but uh, I don't think that uh, it made us uh, significantly better. A little better, yes. Didn't solve the problems at all. Uh, big man was uh, uh, necessary because of um, short rotations, as Sandy and uh, Bobby uh, noticed. Uh, we don't have anybody aside from um, uh, Time Lord and Horford who can start. Uh, Thais, uh, you know, knows the system and that kind of stuff. Um, and um, if he is healthy, Thais is a little overpaid, uh, I think, too, but um, it is good to have that kind of contract as well. And I think that Thais is good fit as well, as Andy said. About Derek White, Derek White, uh, here is unpopular opinion from the Celtics blog by Neil Ayer. So, uh, he said, the Derek White trade is disaster. Sorry, folks, Brad Stevens made the first mistake as uh, the GM. Um, uh, he said, um, um, back then, when the newspapers were more important institutions, they had general sport columnists who would write sketching one-sided columns devoided uh, of any uh, acknowledge, acknowledgement of the opposing argument. In that spirit, while I'm not a fan of Derek White trade, my actual opinions are more nuanced. I understood that's absurd to judge trade uh, in short period. Regardless, I am from the perspective of low hard uh, So, what is gave up? Uh, Richardson, Langford, 2020, second first-round pick and 2028 first-round pick swap. Uh, that was a um, senseless and uh, short-sighted trade from Brad Stevens, a man who was once considered basketball genius. The Twitter reaction from toxicated, optimistic Celtics fans was predictable. He is a genius. He did marvelous. Uh, he did um, historically good trade. Uh, nobody going to scare us um, on Derek White, Marcus Smart, Beckert, we are going to the championship banner, number 18, coming. Um, I, I am glad to see Romeo is gone. Romeo is bust. Josh Richardson sucked. Josh Richardson was not good anyway. It was one of idiotic comments on the Twitter. Here are the facts. Josh Richardson is better shooter than Derek White, ladies and gentlemen. And aside, uh, he was shooting 41% for three, while uh, Derek White, was shooting 30-31% uh, this season in San Antonio. Aside from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 
uh, who was, um, uh, Richardson was best shooter as a team. Um, and this team was poor shooting team in the first half of the season. Richardson is 6'5", with 7 foot uh, wingspan. White is 6'4", with 6'8", wingspan. So, so we got shorter player with uh, smaller wingspan. White was never asked to defend wings in San Antonio. Uh, our scheme is wing uh, switch, wing heavy schemes where guards are uh, asked to switch on, on wings even forward. Richardson did uh, that regularity and he was solid. Um, there is no wing depth uh, at the Celtics at all with Langford gone besides Brown and Tatum. Uh, almost um, uh, only <coughs> pardon, Sam Hosier oh, and contract. Richardson deal was bargained because he's making 11.6 million this year and 12.3 million this year. His production for his contract was extraordinary. While um, White is on the first contract for massive 73 million contract. Um, so we will not have any uh, money for significant improvement of our bench when extensions are coming. When I saw the tweet from Shams that uh, I assumed Richardson from White straight up and I wasn't happy at all. Um, they are roughly the same level defenders. Richardson is a bit better shooter and White is better, better ball handler, handler and passer. White has 5.3 uh, assists per game and Richardson less than two. So additionally, Richardson is uh, on outstanding, outstanding contract for the Celtics, while White is a little overpaid. Later, we learned that Boston included Romeo and their 2022nd uh, first round pick in the deal. I couldn't believe it. Romeo was turning into plus defender who effectively uh, is playing his role on the offense. He was uh, shoot uh, 36% for three when playing eight minutes and, and more. He became steady rotational player after injured flag plugged the sophomore and rookie season. For whatever reason, the Celtics no longer care about the first round pick. As recently said, January 14, the Celtics were 11th in the standings. And it would be today 18th pick, but it can fall to 10 and 14 range. So the Celtics really couldn't get its lottery protected or even top 10 protected. The nail in the coffin, the Celtics inexplicably now I can't believe it. Yeah, 2018 years away, but moving a future set just like that is irresponsible from the team building standpoint. Josh Richardson was a very valuable player for this Celtics team. He defended well. He was shooting 41% for three. He was good lock, a locker presence. He was veteran presence, and uh, he played smart. If you could think, uh, White is significant upgrade, upgrade, congratulations. You have been successfully brainwashed by Celtics media and Twitter propaganda. I can say this without hesitation. Um, <laughs> Derek White is the most unspectacular player in the NBA. He is, not, he is not doing anything on good level. He's not fast. He cannot jump. He doesn't have the handle or passing to be the top point guard and pure top point guard. He lacks the bucket-getting instincts of the modern scoring guard. He cannot be the true one. He cannot be the true two. He's shooting 31% for three on 5.3 attempts. Richardson and Langford were 
more reliable outside, outside shooting. The Celtics um, were 22nd um, in three-point percentage, and unfortunately, they become worse. Admittedly, the requires plays harder on both ends. Uh, coaches love him because um, he ex extracts what the most of physical ability and takes the, the right plays. He's got some quickness. He gets to the rim. He's solid off-ball cutter. However, I cannot emphasize there is no dynamic quality of his game. He has injury history. Last uh, year, he played 36 games, battling ankle and toe injury. Uh, he's had everything from heels um, and contusions and wrists and plantar fascia tears. The Spurs had no issue trading him because he is in five years, uh, 73 million contract. And um, why would they draft Josh Primo? a guard protected as a late first rounder to early second rounder with the 12 pick if they had uh, Derek White. Because Greg Popovich didn't care about cutting White to make way for Primo and Lonnie Walker. I don't want to hear that this year's pick doesn't matter. It's uh, neglecting trade uh, away the first rounders back-to-back -back years. So the teams uh, need to have young talent coming to the pipeline, especially when uh, expenses are growing. They cannot solely relying on free agent signings, especially uh, these teams that's barely about mediocrity, um, despite what the Twitter is saying. People are saying 2028 is far away. Who cares about the pick swap? Trading unprotected picks several years into the future is inherently dangerous. The Kings got killed for trading 2017 pick swap to fill in 2015. In 1997, the Grizzlies traded their 2003 top one protected pick swap, and it turned to the second pick at the draft. The draft was full Darko Milicic, Carmelo Anthony Bosch, or uh, Dwayne Wade. The Nets didn't care about trading 2017 pick swap in the net pick trade, and it ended with Jason Tatum, ladies and gentlemen. I keep seeing tweets about how this defense will be elite. It, is already, it already was elite. Um, you know, the Celtics have the third best defensive, second best defensive rating and best over the last month and a half. If there is one thing that they don't need, it's more defense. Why uh, trade your best spot-up shooter for slightly better defender and less versatile defender? This uh, will rank among the worst trades in Celtics history. It will be remembered like Chauncey Billups for Kenny Anderson in 1998, the 8th pick in 1999, Andre Miller for Vitali Potapenko, or the three first rounder pick for, uh, for Bob McAdoo in 1979, or George Johnson for Tony Dake, Delk and Rodney Rogers in 2002. Apparently, Brad Stevens uh, was possessed about uh, with the ghost of Rick Pitino. Yesterday, the San Antonio acquired Aaron Golliday from uh, Wizards for Cash. Where, where were the Celtics? If they needed point guard to replace Schroeder, uh, they could target uh, Thomas Satoransky or Ish Smith. They could sign Mortezzi Carroll, Serge Ibaka, Dante Di Vincenzo for low-cost options, immediately improving the roster. Brad Stevens was opposed giving up Evan Fournier four years, 78 million last summer, but he had no problems giving White five years, 73 million. The Knicks are currently regretting Fournier contracts but he's shooting 40% for threes on seven attempts. The Celtics could, could, use that, could, could use that. Don't get me wrong. 
the required is solid two-way player who will get minutes on this team. He's a good defender, but certainly not, not the disruptive force uh, you see on Twitter uh, and the Celtics fans on Twitter think he is. He will never be top 15 point guard, and he will, ne- uh, he will never be an uh, impactful player such as Marcus Smart. And we will be lucky if he ever shooting 40% for deep. And here is how everything will play out from yesterday's misstep. The Celtics will come back to earth after their uh, winning streak of success. They will continue to blow the fourth period lead, as everyone will recognize beating Orlando, Detroit, and New Orleans shouldn't be celebrating. And yesterday, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, also Jason and Jalen, will have no space attacking to the hoop uh, because of uh, crowded paint and get ready to uh, gluttony of contested 18-foot jumpers. Most importantly, get ready for playing tournament. Brad Stevens won't be GM for long. Either next season or the next one, Rick Carlisle uh, would get fired from Indiana. Rick Roosevelt will allow Brad uh, to interview for the job and uh, he will go to Indiana. Jalen Brown will leave the Boston when he hits the free agency in 2024. The Celtics won't trade Tatum, thinking the Supermax will entice him to stay, but uh, he is uh, he too will leave Boston during his 2025 agency. The Celtics will be bad team for years to come, and in 2028, when we need the pick, we um, will have to relinquish our top five pick to the San Antonio Spurs. The Celtics fans and uh, stupid Twitter fans will realize that what this pick swept in 2028, when we uh, missed on the top five player in 2028 draft, the Celtics fans will realize what we gave up for Derek White. Um, it won't fall in top one protected range because we will be punished by basketball gods. It's Tim Duncan um, all over again. I, I know I'm right about this trade. I will be, I will be right um, in uh, two months from now and two years from now. I don't care what we duck, uh, that we duck the tax. Uh, I don't care uh, that we collected some trade exceptions. Uh, that's fool's gold. I don't care our current roster is better and our future outlook is bleak. This was the disaster. From the Celtics blog, a different perspective because we love to offer the different perspective. It is not only sunshine and roses in the life, and again, the future will tell who was right in Derek White and Daniel Tice trade. Um, that was my analysis. Uh, dear gentlemen, do you have something to say about this? Uh, this was not my article, but uh, I thought to offer the different perspective. Uh, Andy? Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, I think the that article uh, that was some Celtics blog, right? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's you know you know, like you you have overreactions. And I think you have overreactions that go both ways. I mean, like mm-hmm, Derek White mm-hmm. isn't a superstar, mm-hmm. and you have players who, or you have fans mm-hmm. that are going to act like we just signed a third star. That's not the case. But at the same time, I mean, like mm-hmm. calling it the worst trade in Celtics history is just, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's just mm-hmm. oh, sensational and over the top. Um, <laughs> there, there are some downsides yeah. to the trade. I mean, I, yeah, like I said, the contract is not the greatest. However, once again, you know, you put him in a bigger role and put him, you know, like give him a bigger role, give him more looks, give him more 
playing time, you know, it's possible that he plays close to that contract. I mean, like 15, 18 million, you know, it's about what you play for like a role player starter. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about the contract. It's also tradable. Um, as long as, you know, Derek White doesn't really tank his play, he should, it should be a movable contract. And I think that's probably part of what they brought in as well. Now, you know, I kind of wish we, I wish that we kept Josh Richardson, but I also think that, um, I, I think they were looking for somebody who was more towards the point guard side because of the lack of depth there, because all we really had was Marcus Smart, and for whatever reason, it doesn't look like Udoka mm-hmm. really trusts Peyton Pritchard. So I think that's why they went with Derek White. Do I think that we overpaid mm-hmm. for him? Yeah, I, I think that we did. But once again, I mean, it depends on what role the Celtics management saw for Derek White. And we may, you know, like they may have a role for him in mind that we don't, you know, we haven't thought of. Um, you know, I think that one thing that we, you know, like, and I don't know, to be honest, I don't know why we didn't do this with Josh Richardson, but it looked like when White and Smart were both healthy, it looked kind of like the Celtics wanted to play smaller with one center, White, Smart, Tatum, Brown, but, you know, it, which, you know, this isn't really about the trade. This is more about, like, our lineups. Like, uh, why didn't we do that with Josh Richardson? You know, why didn't we play Smart, Richardson, Tatum, Brown, and then, you know, Horford or whoever? I mean, I guess that's kind of what I've been advocating all year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, I, I think that that article was written before Marcus Smart went down. But I think we also see more value with the white trade with Smart mm-hmm. going down. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fact that that does give us some insurance because, you know, we haven't played Peyton Pritchard enough to expect him to be a starter this year. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is mm-hmm. that it depends on how ownership and management views the team. I think Derek White trade shows us that, the ownership of the team and the management thinks that we are contending. See, uh, contender. Um, yes. That, that's well, that's what it comes across to as me because if if you weren't contending, you wouldn't trade off a young guy like Langford. Um, you know, you would try to hold them. So that's as why well as we the draft picks. Picks. That's why we are so, trading uh, all those picks, right? But I think that there's also, you know, I, I think. I don't. I don't know if they see us as like a you know top seed contender. I I have a hard time believing that, but I think they feel like they're maybe one superstar away, and that's what I kind of see them doing right here. Is they've kind uh-huh. of positioned us to make you know like, I don't see White's contract as being incredibly restricting. You know like the, you know the article you just read. They act like you know White's contract is going to preclude us from getting another star. I don't really mm-hmm. see it that way. I, I think that contract is tradable. You could use mm-hmm. that in, you know, in, in a three-way trade. You know, like there's somebody who would want a guy like Derek White. And maybe mm-hmm. you have to throw in like a young player, you know, maybe you have to throw in somebody, I don't know, like, you know, like Naismith or something like that. One of these young guys that we got, you know, like Hauser or something like that. Well, I guess Hauser's not that young really, but you get what I'm saying. Maybe you have to throw in one of those guys to make it work. But, you know, when you're, when you're talking about third su- superstars, so we're talking about a superstar trade here. I mean, like you're, you're throwing everybody on the roster who's not named Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown 
at bringing that third star into Boston. Maybe you keep Robert Williams, but I mean, any anybody who's not named Tatum or Brown is at least on the table. So I, I don't see that we really closed ourselves off from that. We actually got two contracts that you could probably move. Um, I mean, Daniel Tice was traded, and uh, he was traded the offseason, so obviously his contract is movable, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't see us as having closed off from a third star. I think our, I think we're kind of in that weird area where we're really just, you know, like we're really kind of like one piece away from being really in contention. Um, because, if you, you know, if you take a third star, you put a third star in that team, so you take out – you know, say you subtract like Derek White and Naismith and Pritchard, and, you know, and whatever else to go ahead and get, you know, and get that third star. You know, I think we're a lot closer in that contending window. So we'll see what happens. I think that the biggest problem for Boston with the trade deadline, you know, I, I, I don't think focusing on Derek White's trade really, you know, captures the trade deadline very well. I think what really happened is Boston fell further behind because of other moves that were made in the East, you know, with Embiid, and, or not Embiid, I'm sorry, with Harden going to play with Embiid and Simmons going up to Brooklyn. I think those two things are much more pertinent to the Boston Celtics because that's, you know, that changes the, the, you know, the top-level competition in the East. And depending on how that shakes out and how that works out, that could really, that could really set Boston back. Um, and that's why it's important that we look at the trade deadline, not just in terms of who we added to our team, but also in terms of what happens with other teams because I don't see the Celtics as being in a better yeah, I think they're a slightly better team than they were before the deadline, but I think they're slightly worse in relation to other teams in the East because of other things that happened. And yes, I know we threw the Sixers out, but that was a weird game for them. Like they just had a weird bad performance. Harden didn't play. So I'm not you know, I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't read too much into that win. So yeah, I guess that's kinda of how I feel about it. Okay, 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 great. Uh, I mean, we're discussing, uh, trying to light all the angles. Uh, Daniel, uh, do you have something to add on the article or uh, to go further with the program? I think that you have the news and we will uh, uh, play the hard and trade uh, audios, uh, which will um, um, be intro to the last segment of the show. Uh, you can add to the news. You can add to the news. Yep, yep, excellent. So, the big blockbuster trade uh, was, ladies and gentlemen, um, again, Philadelphia Nets trade in which Ben Simmons um, and Seth Curry became the new members of uh, uh, Brooklyn Nets and uh, James Harden uh, became the new uh, member of uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Short audios about that. Brooklyn and uh, Philadelphia really started to negotiate in earnest today. I was told Philadelphia had checked in in previous days, uh, had lobbed offers that had been returned without a counter. But today, Brooklyn started uh, to talk about with Philadelphia what a deal would look like. And where it lands is James Harden, who will go along with Paul Millsap to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and then a 2022 unprotected first-round pick in this coming draft, a 2027 protected pick that might flip to 28. But obviously the key elements here, 
Brooklyn was ready to move off of James Harden, and it was clear he didn't want to be there anymore. They knew that, and they got enough back in their minds uh, to try to put a team on the floor this year and then beyond that can still compete for a championship. Uh, but James Harden, listen, this has been uh, the goal of Daryl Morey since the day he arrived in Philadelphia. He wasn't able to trade for James Harden uh, with the Houston Rockets. The Brooklyn Nets did. And now just a year later, Harden has essentially forced his way out of a second team in consecutive years. He goes to Philadelphia. He's been paired with a lot of stars in this league. And he gets a new one, Joel Embiid, a new co-star. And Ben Simmons comes to Brooklyn. We'll see how quickly Simmons is able uh, to be able to get into the lineup, play. Seth Curry, certainly uh, an impactful player, especially with Joe Harris. The rest of his season uncertain uh, with an injury. But the blockbuster is done. Uh, James Harden is headed to the Philadelphia 76ers, and Ben Simmons is going to be a net. Right now, Philly should be the favorite to win these. They have the best duo in the game of basketball in James Harden and Joel Embiid. And you tell me what offense or what defense is going to stop them. Both of these guys are great at getting at the free throw line. Both of these guys are unguardable. And like Sinead, like you just said, putting them in the pick and roll, going late game isolation, clearing one side, going two May game. How are you going to do it? Oh, let me be quiet. (laughs) And we're back to our virtual studio. You're with Igor, Danny, and Andy um, discussing all NBA news. Uh, Guys, uh, what can we say about um, uh, James Harden uh, trade uh, East just uh, got uh, tougher. Now I know that we had blowout win on Philadelphia, uh, which uh, made our fans uh, con- uh, to conclusion that uh, we will just run over Philadelphia in the playoffs. Uh, maybe we will. I'm not saying that we won't. But um, the fact is that we didn't see uh, James Harden in uh, that game, and he's still nursing injury. He will not play at the All-Star uh, game. So until Philly is complete, uh, I mean, uh, you cannot say that uh, the trade is not working for Philadelphia. That's very simple. Uh, I mean, everybody uh, have tendential to jump on conclusions after like uh, five to ten games or so. I mean, I really don't understand the people. I understand. Uh, the uh, simple fans, uh, they're overreacting, like Andy said, uh, here and there, everywhere. But uh, no, I mean, uh, to, uh, to, 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 to judge such a big, big, um, uh, big, uh, you know, decisions, I don't think it's uh, justified and truth, truthful. Daniel, you didn't speak uh, so in the previous segment, so uh, what do you say about James Harden's trade? How do you feel? <clears throat> well, I agree with uh, Bobby, you know, our special guest earlier when he said that it was a good yes, deal yes. for both teams okay. in this situation yep, yep, because yep, both yep, teams yep. got rid of players who didn't want to be with the teams they were at. In this case, obviously, we know how long Ben Simmons has been wanting to get, wanting to get out of Philly and the issues there. And obviously, the issue with James Harden is that uh, the fact that he's a player trying to get a championship now, 
while obviously we know the issue with uh, Kyrie and not being able to play due to the mandates, the COVID vac- vaccine mandates in New York, and uh, Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie, the simple fact is both of them have championships already in this case, while James mm-hmm. Harden doesn't. So the issue with Kevin Durant being injured, you don't know what his health situation is going to be the rest of the season. And if New York doesn't change the vaccine issue going down the stretch here in New York, mm-hmm. it could very well put that the Brooklyn Nets situation in jeopardy the rest of the season. It could very well make it where the team doesn't have a uh, – could very well make it where they don't win this year. And, of course, uh, could make it where James Harden, you know, he's – Wasting his uh, best seasons as an NBA player, because as they say, you know, you, you're not going to stay young, you know, all, all your life in this situation, which means you're not going to stay in the primary of your career, you know, all your life either. So he's got to take advantage now while he's in the prime of his career to basically try and win a championship, because once he's gone from that prime, he may not get it again in this situation. You know, he doesn't want to be like another Michael Jordan playing for the Washington Wizards, you know, in this case, and basically make it a fool of himself. You know, like Jordan did when he came back, you know, after his uh, stint with the, you know, major leagues and the situation with the major league baseball and all of that, you know. But uh, literally, I think the situation with uh, this with this trade, the one thing I would say is who won the trade? That's the big the, the big thing in this situation. And no offense, I actually got to say it was Brooklyn, you know, because obviously a lot of people think in this situation that uh, a lot of – a lot of people think in this situation that uh, I don't know. A lot of people think in this situation that uh, you got the, the best player. Whoever's the best player is going to basically get the victory. Whichever team gets the best player. Well, in this case, I would say to you guys, let's think about this. Don't you think James Harden is actually creating a bad reputation for himself as of late? You know, you end up going to Houston and forcing yourself out of Houston when things got, you know, tight, you got upset with the way things were going to run to Brooklyn. And now you get upset with how things are going in Brooklyn and you haven't even been there that long. Then I'll force yourself to Philadelphia. And remember one of the main things with uh, this trade was that Philadelphia was only willing to take James Harden if he was willing to execute that player option for next season in this case. So, obviously, he's got to play this season and next season now in Philadelphia, but he only has two years left. When you look at the Ben Simmons deal, in this case, Ben Simmons is under contract now with Brooklyn until the end of the 2024-2025 season in this case. So, if Ben Simmons can actually make things work, and like Bobby said, you know, Ben Simmons, we've all we've all been criticizing him, you know, here in in, uh, in Boston in this case, you know, because obviously we all know the history of the issue of Tatum versus Ben Simmons and you know Philly screwed up and all of that. Ben Simmons going to Brooklyn makes makes it where now he can be a you know a point guard. He doesn't have to focus on shooting. All he's got to do is get the ball to Kyrie and Durant, like Bobby said, in their in their proper positions and let them do the work. In this case, he doesn't have to be a, a scorer like he was, in, like, like like Philadelphia was trying to make him do, because of the fact that he had to help MB basically dominate, you know. So if Ben Simmons can make things work in this situation out there in Philadelphia, something's telling me, you guys, I, you know, I, you know, I think you'll probably agree, Ben Simmons is more likely to stay longer in Brooklyn than what I think James Harden is likely to stay in Philadelphia. I will not be surprised if Philadelphia does not win this season or next season. 
that you see James Harden in another uniform after next season is over? Uh, Andy, uh, opinion about uh, James Harden uh, trade? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to agree with uh, Daniel. I think that Brooklyn might have won the trade. Um, I mean, they're both going, like they both should be really good teams this year. But a Simmons is going to be there longer, and b um, if, if the Nets use him the right way and they use him as kind of like a weird point center almost, and then surround him, you know, you think about who they can put around them. You know, you could put Joe Harris. You can put if he's healthy. You can put Joe Harris. You can put Seth Curry. You can put KD. You can put Kyrie. You know, assuming Kyrie is able to play. But if they get everybody together, that's a really lethal offense. It's very fast paced. It's very hard to match up against. So I think that that's I think that that's actually a pretty uh, that's a really solid team. Harden and Beat is also very good, but it's a little bit more traditional. I think what really comes into play here is how well Harden can mesh, not necessarily with Embiid, the you know kind of the other pieces in Philly. Like, can he work well with Maxi? Can he work well with Tybal? Um, Danny Green. I mean, I'm not too worried about Danny Green. Danny Green seems to play about the same with everybody, but um, you know, it's a big you know big part of it's contingent on that. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly how Doc's going to run them, but I'm going to guess. I mean, the logical assumption is they're going to be a pick-and-roll heavy team with a lot of Embiid, Harden, pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop, and then kick-outs to other guys when they pop open because the defense collapses. Obviously, it's a really good strategy. Uh, but I also think with Harden's age, you know, and his expiring contract, they really have this year, and that's that's about it. So, It'll be interesting to see how that works out. I think both teams got better, um, but yeah, I, I do, I do agree. I think Brooklyn kind of got the better deal here. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Uh, so guys, uh, uh, we have cu- courtesy of um, uh, Daniel Camacho, uh, all NBA news. Of course, um, NBA All Star Day uh, two in progress. Um, uh, so, uh, injury updates, uh, Anthony Davis injury update is um, um, expected to be out for Anthony Davis, expected to be out for at least next uh, four weeks uh, with mid-foot uh, uh, sprain that he suffered Wednesday night at Lakers, 106-101, win over the Jazz. This means the Lakers are likely going to play the mi- minimum uh, the next 11 games without him if he is re-examining exactly four weeks from uh, when uh, the testing has done uh, which would be Thursday March 17 the testing the testing so he could uh, miss entire uh, he could miss uh, more games if he isn't healthy enough to come back at time Lakers would be only 13 games left till the playoffs after that date 11 games uh, that he will miss will be against Clippers, Pelicans, Mavericks, and at Clippers, um, against Warriors, at Spurs, at Rockets, against Wizards, at Suns, at Raptors, and second night back-to-back against the Timberwolves. Uh, okay, uh, so let's, uh, uh, let me ask uh, uh, the guys uh, shortly. Um, Andy, 
it seems like uh, the Lakers, uh, mercifully for the Celtics fans this season, are doomed this way or another. And LeBron James wants to play with Bronny um, in the next, at the end of his career, whenever he is drafted. So it seems like the Lakers are doomed. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think anybody should be really surprised by the Lakers being bad. I mean, I, I don't know. I I felt like a lot of analysts just kind of jumped on that. Oh wow, they got Russell Westbrook. Look at the big names on that team. Um, <laughs> without really yeah. paying attention to the fact that there's no real fit between. I mean, like, you look at Westbrook, Davis, yeah, LeBron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You have three guys that all need to be almost in the paint to be at their best. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't, I don't think that really should have surprised anybody that that doesn't work very well, especially given Anthony Davis's injury history and LeBron's age. Um, that I mean, I, signing Westbrook was not a good move. I, I was actually really surprised they did that and they didn't go for like yep. Bradley Beal, who would have been a much better fit with that Lakers roster. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm not at all shocked that they're doing that badly. In L.A., yeah, they're in a really tough spot because I don't think LeBron's going to want to retire uh, because of, you know, like you said, he wants to play with his with his son. So mm-hmm. unless he proves willing to take a really big hit to his income, which, I mean, it's possible, you know, he could do the Tom Brady thing and give the team a discount. But I don't really see that as being overly likely doesn't strike me as a LeBron thing to do. And then they're also tied to Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis, you know, draw a lot of uh, comparisons with him to Kristaps Porzingis. You know, he's a guy, everybody looks at, they say, oh, wow, you know, like when he plays, everybody looks at him and says, oh, wow, this guy's really good. You know, he's a top, you know, he's one of the top players, top one of the top bigs in the NBA. He's incredibly versatile, does all these different things. And so I think we tend to overrate him when, you know, like really Anthony Davis, and I'll say it right now, he's not that good because he's because of availability. The guy's never available to play for you because he's always injured or hobbled or something. I mean, I can't remember really the last time Anthony Davis had a month of playing basketball where he was fully healthy. I, I, I can't remember the last time that's happened. So those are the guys on your team you know, you have you know the aging LeBron. You have Russell Westbrook, who I've always you know I, I've always called for years. I've called him a glorified stat pad, um, and that's that's what you have for a team. You you know you sold most of your young talent to go and get Anthony Davis, so there's no real future there. I mean, you have Taylor Horton Tucker, but he kind of he regressed hard this year. You know, you sent Kuzma away to bring in Westbrook. So if you're LA at this point, yeah, you, you, you've got a really tough road ahead because, you know, you'll, you'll have any, you know, you'll have anything left. Your, you know, the three stars that you sold your, your future for a don't fit together and B two of them are highly overrated. So that's what you have. You don't really have a lot to bring anything new in, you know, a, a new players in or anything like that. And, you know, here you go. Congratulations. You're the latest victim of LeBron James's team building. I'm, I'm tired of hearing all these analysts on TV say, oh, LeBron James is such a great team builder. No, he's not. He's a quantifiably awful team builder. 
I mean, you know, has anybody, you know, has anybody looked at that Cavaliers team that he built? Like, because you got to take away Sexton and Garland because those were not LeBron James additions. You know, those were pretty much post-LeBron era guys, right? Right. So you take those guys away. I mean, like, this is a guy who thought that he, you know, who, who wanted to build a team where his starters were J.R. Smith, Kevin Love for the two games out of three years where he's healthy, and Tristan Thompson. You know, I mean, like, that's, that's not a great team that he built over there. Now, you know, now look at what he's done on the Lakers. He's basically, you know, set that franchise going straight, you know, straight down the toilet bowl. Yeah, you know, so yeah, let's 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 not call LeBron James a great team builder because yeah, cause there's nothing great about that team that he's constructed in LA. Um so yeah, I mean, but yeah, I think the Lakers are in for a really long road ahead. Um and that's the one comfort I take is that you know, Boston is definitely on a better trajectory right now than LA. Okay. Um Denny, um do you want to comment or to go uh with uh further with uh, the news that uh, you prepared? Well, the, when it comes to the issue with the Lakers, you know, again, you had our, we had two things when it came to the Lakers in terms of the news. Obviously, uh, one was the issue with Davis. The other one was uh, the, the one you mentioned with uh, LeBron's son. So LeBron did put the league on notice. My last year will be played with my son. Wherever Bronny is at, that's where I'll be. I would do whatever it, do whatever it takes to play with my son for one year. It's not about money at that point. So I did bring that up with Bobby Kravitsky earlier in the show in this situation. And, of course, it looks like in this case, the season that would be referred to in this case as LeBron's last season would be the 2024-2025 season as that would be the season that LeBron's son is likely eligible to be drafted in this case. So, of course, the question is mainly going to be, which team is going to basically uh, take them. And, of course, I believe that is also the year, more likely, that LeBron's uh, contract is actually up. In this case, if I go taking a look, uh, and uh, actually LeBron's contract is up after the 2023-24 season. So it's most likely in this situation any team that tries to go get him will probably get him in this case for just uh, a one-year deal in this situation. In this case, if they can guarantee that they'll take his, get his son in this situation, or in this case, he uh, ends up like I said, the son, you know, maybe gets drafted 2023, 2024, and he basically waits until the you know free agency free agency to sign with basically whoever gets his son. But it appears, like I said, the age of 40 will be the main one in this situation, and that's how everybody sees it. That's what Bobby Kavisky ended up saying earlier. Um, that basically he feels that'll be the year that LeBron ends up leaving at the age of 40. That'll be his last season, and he plays it with his son wherever the son goes. So when you think about like uh, what Andy just said, think about this. <laughs> that means you have at the most maybe two to three years left, LeBron with the Lakers in this case. After that, it's over, you know, in this situation. And then you see what's going on with Anthony Davis, the guy in this situation has just as much issues staying healthy as Time Lord does in this case. And yet Time Lord, you know, and he, this guy makes over $35 million a season. He's going to go up to 37.9 next season and then 40.6 the season after that. And then has a player option for 33.2 in this case. You know, 
the man's not worth anything like that, knowing that he keeps going down every, you know, 15 to 20 games with an injury in this situation. So the Lakers, you guys, they're screwed in this situation. I would not be surprised if they missed the playoffs altogether, knowing that, like Bobby said, you know, you know how the NBA, NFL, they got strength of, strength of schedule in this situation and all that. Well, in this case, like they say, the Lakers, you guys, as Bobby said, have the third hardest schedule left in the NBA the rest of the way. They are and you got to go, and you got to go most of those games without Anthony Davis. And that's just, that's just the next four weeks. If Anthony Davis, like the uh, information I gave you, Igor, if he can't go return after the next four weeks in this situation, because let's say something goes wrong and it's still not healthy, he would have to miss the rest of the games. And who's game, who knows if he's even going to be healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, to finish with the news, uh, Philly and Brooklyn trade details. Uh, Philly get James Harden for and Paul Millsap. Uh, so Brooklyn gets uh, Brooklyn Nets get uh, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first rounder picks. Uh, Brooklyn receives unprotected pick in 2022 first round, with the right to defend to defer. Uh, the pick to 2023 if they want, as well as top eight protected 2027 first rounder. 2027 first rounder would remain top eight protected in 2020 and will turn into two second round picks and uh, two million cash if doesn't Conway in 2028. Another news: LeBron playing with his son. We explained. Then NBA commissioner criticized criticizes New York. Um, uh, Brooklyn uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, COVID rules that preventing Kyrie Irving from playing. Commissioner Adam Silver said the New York City vaccination mandate preventing Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving from playing some home games doesn't quite make sense to him. The rule is set up where as the player is unvaccinated against COVID-19, Irving isn't allowed to play in Berkeley Center However, a player from different market who is unvaccinated may play. First of all, I want to think that the rules are unfair. I believe that uh, we are saying to uh, out of town at least that they can come in and uh, being, non, being not vaccinated, yet New York at least, uh, you have to be vaccinated and also do this for entertainers. I want people to know that entertainers can come here without being vaccinated and perform. I think it's unfair. I'm not sure if Boston, um, if a Boston fan created this rule, I don't know. But I'm really, really um, leery about sending the wrong message. Uh, having this city uh, closed down again uh, keeps me up at night. And message we put up in place, the rule was uh, put in place. Changing it now, I think it will send mi mixed messages. So I'm struggling. Just to be honest with you, Adam Silver. So he kind of uh, called out Boston in his tirade. Um, and um, uh, Steve Buffett, heavy.com insider, about the Celtics, he said that um, can see uh, that happening, believes Boston will happily run the big man rotation already on disposal. Um, if the right guy come along, suppose they will sign the big guy, but they don't see them doing it. I think they are looking for now. They would rather have an extra shooter at the buyout market. Market, even if it is 
it's hard to uh, see a guy factoring in. They will just got to play the way it is. They have played the last week on um, heavy.com uh, episode. The common consensus among NBA fans and analysts uh, is that uh, any team with hopes of deep playoff run need multiple big men to uh, slow down the elite centers at the Eastern Conference. When it comes to the top-tier big man talent, there is only a handful of guys into that category. Uh, at Eastern Conference, you have Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, and then deployed uh, to five, Giannis Antetokounmpo, are all at the prime talents at the paint. And Boston need multiple options to throw at the center in hope to wear them down. Brooklyn Nets happily acquired Andre Dam- Drummond as, and Paul Millsap as part of um, uh, that trade. The Miami Heat is a trade deadline. They were looking to big uh, body for that purposes. What is interesting is that uh, Celtics had a test against him. Uh, he had a bunch of points uh, because he went to the free throw line. And um, he is got, got going to get there, but I think he had um, three field goals. They had Al Horford uh, at him, and they were throwing extra body at him. Philadelphia hopes uh, uh, that uh, it is changed, changes once James Harden is on the court. Interesting. Uh, the, it will be interesting how uh, it, it was interesting to see how uh, Boston defended Embiid. Um, Celtics need another guard. When Boston defended Philadelphia 76ers on February 15th, they limited Joel Embiid defensively on switching and blitzing him in the mid post and with Time Lord, um, unpositionally defending him. Sure, adding James Harden in the mix, uh, that uh, defending puzzles slightly, but the Celtics uh, always seems to have Embiid's number in the pocket. One area the Celtics can add depth is uh, extra point for extra guard spot in Marcus Smart's absence uh, was felt against Detroit Pistons. Uh, Derek White uh, was there, Pritchard. Uh, to slow down. Sure, Boston um, does uh, prioritizing um, developing their sophomore point guard, but um, for example, guards like DJ Agustin and Zia Thomas are the names to add uh, veteran point guards. Um, um, For example, adding uh, Agustin Augustin would allow Boston to continue developing Pritchard, uh, but also feel good about their strengths. Um, With the All-Star break upon the Celtics front office, plenty time to detail uh, the diligence and hopefully uh, make the good decisions. That's all, ladies and gentlemen, from us. Uh, the changes are coming in better in video chat and Celtics Talk Radio, uh, and hopefully at page as well. Uh, we're preparing um, to you the good stuff, and we were without Kevin tonight. Hopefully he will join us the next time. Uh, watch the All-Star and wait for your beloved Celtics um, uh, to to uh, play again. Uh, final words, short uh, ending. Yeah, I mean, I, I think computer. that uh, the trade mm-hmm. deadline is pretty interesting. It was made more interesting by Smart going down, unfortunately. So I think that's really something to watch um, is how Boston can recover. Um, like I said, you know, I said it on the Facebook page. I'm not, I thought we had a great win against Philly. And I wasn't too concerned about the loss of Detroit because I kind of thought, you know, like losing smart, going in against a tough physical team like Detroit, um, we, you know, there was just going to be that feeling it out period and there was a chance we'd lose that game. So I, I wasn't overly disappointed by that. We played close. 
Um, but I think the big thing for fans to watch moving forward is, is can Boston adjust to Marcus Smart being out? Um, if Smart has to miss a substantial amount of time, can we adjust to that? Can Derek White step into that role defensively and in terms of playmaking? Um, because Smart really kind of did both. So can Derek White step into that role? If not, then can the rest of the team adjust for well, however long Smart's out for? Those are the things that fans should really be looking for. That's really going to decide, I think, where the rest of this season goes. Excellent stuff, Andy. Thank you. Uh, talk in the next show. Danny, uh, short, the last words, and Gino. Yeah. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, as ever said, uh, we are looking to basically make a few changes in this case as we are currently working with our new, I guess you could say, producer, William Perkins, who, of course, is an admin in our, our yep. Weebly Green group in this case. Uh, changes that are basically being made because we are now having negotiations for potential sponsorship for the Celtics Talk Radio in this case. And this could potentially lead to the um, plans of maybe making a deal with the NBA itself that could lead to something even bigger for us, obviously, after all the work we've done, you and me, Igor, over the years in this situation with this show and, of course, with our group in this case. Um, So, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of the big changes will not be done or made made official until next season in this case, which could be – where possibly a two-man team will be your radio team in this situation instead of a four-man team in this case. The video chats obviously will look a little bit different as well for all of you. But again, we're doing this all for you, Celtic fans, the ones who have supported us all this year, all these years in this situation so that you can get a more better product and at the same time come to us as basically one of your main uh, sources for Celtics news. Again, you you saw a glimpse of it today with us bringing a little bit more of other NBA news other than just the Boston Celtics news in this case. So we hope you kind of enjoyed what you got from us today, bringing in other stuff other than just Celtics things. And we hope to basically get some good results as we look at our ratings basically going forward in this situation. And we'll hope that you'll stick with us basically and uh, show that you like what you got from us today. And maybe we will change the broadcasting site, but uh, that's on the next season. Thank you all. Uh, Root for the Celtics. Enjoy the All-Star Weekend. We love you all. Gino, get us out of here. We are tired. Bye. We love you all.